Merkel Media. I guess it's time to go back in time. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a DeLorean? Time is but a stubborn illusion. I have a lot of memories of the past. People are time traveling within themselves. Time travel is possible. Russian folklore talks about these spirits that basically try to convince you to go walk into the bog and lead you to your death and, or swamps and stuff like that. And so when he stopped at the peak bog, it seemed like when they caught up to him, whatever was possessing him stopped. I don't know. It was really weird. He said it was definitely definitely an experience that left him shaken. Um, and he just, he's like, if I hear voices in the woods now, I just, uh, when I started hearing stuff in the woods again, he would turn around and leave. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves. He's got a spear in one hand, and he's running really fast. And spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over, and there are two small gray entities pulling it. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush, and I touched air. Couldn't breathe, and I couldn't move, because I know I'm seeing a monster. Okay, I'll reload it! Welcome to the show, everybody. You're listening to The Confessionals. I'm your host, Tony Merkel. Thanks for being here. If you have a crazy, wild experience you want to share with me on the show, go ahead and shoot me an email or go to the website, theconfessionalspodcast.com. Hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well. Either way works for me. Just get a hold of me. And if you want more of the show on a weekly basis, every Thursday, we drop member-exclusive content on the app and the website. So if you want access to that membership content, all the overtime segments and Tuesday shows ad-free. You want to become a member at theconfessionalspodcast.com. Just hit the join button and become a member. You get access to all that great stuff. Also, friends, with inflation the way it is and the store shelves being bare, make sure you're prepared with you and your family. So go ahead and check out preparewiththeconfessionals.com. There you can get yourself 25-year supply of... Actually, I should say it this way. You'll get yourself food supply that will last up to 25 years on the shelf, plus survival gear in case that time comes. You guys are good to go. And... Here we go. This is the special intro right here that we're going with. We got Creed and Jen back here in the studio, and we're going to be talking about another trip that we're going to be doing. Creed, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for being here. And, you know, we did a trip. What was it? June this year? It was June. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time people hear this, it's going to be June last year. So uh, this is going to air the first Tuesday of uh, 2022. But we did a, we did a trip in June last year, and we went to the Burn Bray Mansion. 
People loved it. A lot of had, had a lot of fun. And I going into it, I was like, I just don't know if people are gonna really be into this. And it sold out in what, like twenty four hours or something like that. It was fast. It was a few days, but it was fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, well, I guess I was wrong. And so we went and did the trip. And because I remember when we sat down, I was like, um, so if people don't, you know, respond to this, is that okay? And you're like, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Let's shot. And <laughs> yeah. See what happens. And uh, I was just, I was overjoyed when so many people were. Uh, interested in we I know we have um, people who reached out and said that they want to be on a waiting list for the next one right and so it's really exciting and we're going to be doing another trip here how many are we shooting for this year probably about 20 I think that's what we were shooting Perfect. for last time yeah. yeah 20 is a good number yeah no actually oh okay I thought you were being sarcastic I meant trips wise oh, not trips season wise. <laughs> <laughs> I was like well, if we're doing 20 20 trips, yeah, 20 trips would be great uh, we're going to do probably three this year I think uh, okay. for 2022 yeah we'll do three this okay. is the first one in April uh, we'll shoot for one in July and then in the fall at some point we'll we'll uh, pick up another one, I think. Sounds good. Yeah. So uh, you guys are the the masterminds behind the trips. I'm not that creative and I don't that got that kind of time. So I'm glad you guys are doing it. And uh, since we did Burn Bray last time, we're not doing that again this time. What's the first trip we're doing? So we're going to go up to a place called the Shanley Hotel, uh, which has a long and storied history. Uh, it was first built in the early 19th century. Uh, it's hosted a wide variety of people. It was very elegant at one time. And then uh, at one time it was, uh, you know, speakeasy, uh, nice. bordello. Uh, it's had uh, gangsters um, that have stayed there, all kinds of infamous and famous people, and some of whom have never left. Uh, <sighs> there's, Perfect. There's like 30, I think, uh, spirits that occasionally really? make their presence known. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a high number. Wow. And so... When we were up at Burnbray, people had some experiences, uh, some supernatural experiences. I expect certainly this time yeah. we'll definitely have some as well. Yeah. And and speaking of the supernatural experiences at Burnbray, if you're listening right now, you still got to email me so we can talk about what you went through. Uh, yeah, Cleet's experience talk to was rough. Yeah, I think. yeah, it was a little. It was. It was. I think his was really sort of truly frightening, rather than just you yeah, know, sort of well, fun. You, but I mean, I, I know he told you about it, mm -hmm. and. Uh, I visually saw it was rough for him, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I understand. And he told me, you know, it's hard to talk about and stuff, but right. you know, if he wants to talk, I'll talk. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. So, uh, we're going to be checking out that place and, uh, is it, it's like last time all expenses included. Yeah. It's a t so it'll be a two day trip. Uh, we'll, uh, meet everyone at the uh, airport in Newark, uh, whether they want to fly in or, or we'll get there, you know, on their own wheels. Uh, that's where the bus will pick us up. And uh, we'll head up uh, to uh, just outside of Sleepy Hollow, New York, which we all know, right? Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, and uh, there's a great place there. There's a legend there, a woman named Hulda called Hulda the Witch. And she uh, she was uh, around in the 1700s. Uh, she was from Germany. She lived on her own. She was, uh, you know, good at herbal remedies, which, of course, was the only thing available then. And so the townspeople, you know, old woman by herself with a weird accent, they thought of her as a witch. Sure. Uh, but she's, you know, she's got a headstone in um, the cemetery in Sleepy Hollow, the old Dutch Reformed Church. So we'll we'll take a look at at the actual place where she lived. Uh, there's there's actually a little uh, sort of witch's cabin there, uh, which is interestingly keeps getting, you know, if it, if it deteriorates, somebody's rebuilding it, whether it's Holda or you know local uh, hikers. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody so, knows who's. Uh, really it's always sort of rebuilt so wow hmm, that'll be an interesting thing i think to check out and it's it's right near a place called spook rock okay uh, which according to legend uh there was a native american warrior a few centuries ago who came across these 
spiritual, ghostly sort of maidens dancing on the rock. That was his encounter there. And then so thereafter, for for many centuries, it was used as a sort of council place for Native American tribes. So there should be some pretty interesting energy, I think, around Sounds there as good. well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's just our, you know, sort of early part of the day. Uh, we'll have lunch in Sleepy Hollow. Uh, so we'll get a chance to, to check out that town. It's actually a really cool town. Uh, and then we'll head uh, relatively close by to New Paltz. There's a street there called Historic Huguenot Street. So the Huguenots were uh, French Protestants who uh, left France in the age of religious warfare, and they settled here quite early. The houses all date to the 1600s. And uh, likewise, lots of interesting spiritual activities. So we'll get a nice little tour of all the you know ghostly occurrences that occur nice. uh, on this street. Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Um, and then then we'll head up um, uh, to the Shanley. It's in uh, it's in the Catskills. Uh, so we'll get a, a a chance to see the Catskills. The Catskills are really, really pretty cool. Uh, but we'll get into the Shanley. Uh, we'll be able to stay there overnight. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll we'll get in and do our, you know, ghost hunting and uh, have our experiences. Um, should be should be really cool. Nice. Get to stay in a haunted house overnight. Yeah. <sighs> Just, you know, like the last time we had the uh, the ghost, the, the, the uh, paranormal team come in. Are mm-hmm. we doing something similar to that? Yep. yep. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a... They'll take us around. They'll, you know, we'll, we'll get the, you know, we'll do the EVPs and well, look, there's one ghost cat too called Sweet Thing. So <laughs> nice. I, <laughs> if nothing else, maybe we'll see a ghost cat. But well, speaking of the YouTube channel, we have a video of a ghost cat on our YouTube channel. People can check out. That's yeah. a fun little video. That's so cool. there you go. <laughs> well, you could preview ghost cats. Yeah. Just sleep with one overnight. There we go. Uh, but there's cool stuff. I mean, you know, people have um, encountered, you know, mysterious clock chimes, cold and hot spots, whistling, you know, disembodied footsteps. Um, piano music, laughing children, the smell of cooking, like all kinds mm. of, you know, sort of spiritual ghostly activities that, that occur there in this storied <laughs> hotel. Yeah. So there should be no doubt that, uh, you know, there, there should be some, some pretty interesting encounters there for sure. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, we get the whole, whole, whole hotel. So it'll just be our group that's staying there. Um, that's the best. Yeah. Like that's the best. I mean, like we don't have to worry about going in there. You, like if anybody listening right now, you're not going to be going in there and there's going to be guests staying there and you feel a little awkward. Like you don't right. got to worry about that. You just, it's everybody who's there is there for the same freaking thing. Exactly. They're all part of our group and we're all yeah. wanting to do the same thing. So we can, you know, we have the run of the place all night. Wow. Uh, so we can stay, you know, we, everybody can stay up as late as they want ghost hunting or, you know, whatever it is they want to do. Um, you know, there's, you know, some of the bedrooms, the most haunted rooms in the hotel, you know, so we can kind of accommodate, you know, if you really want that supernatural experience, we can put you in one of those rooms. Oh, if okay. You, if you're not quite sure that's where you are, we'll put you in a room that's purported not to have much. <laughs> <laughs> well, as far as I go, I'll see how I feel that day. I might be a little too tired, but <laughs> also known as scared. But, <laughs> but, you know, if you really get freaked out, there's hotels down the street. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fine. No, it'll be, it'll I mean, be fun. I'm sure I'll be fine. So. <laughs> we'll all be fine. Yeah, tough guys. Uh, so, yeah, so 200-year-old mansion um, that we'll be, you know, sort of That's getting awesome. to spend our time in. And, that, you know, then, then the next morning, of course, if people want to uh, talk to you about, you know, what their experiences are, you know, maybe that might find its way onto a future show at some yeah. point. Yeah. Um, I know last time uh, we we wish we had more time in the morning. Yep. Do you know what the schedule will look like that morning yet? Yeah, we'll have a little more time there. Okay, we're, we're not cool. going to, you know, I think that was one of the things that we learned last time when we did this is that we do want, you know, people do want a little more time in the morning. 
um, not to be rushed out or, you know, to be able to share their stories and yeah. and so forth. So we're definitely going to do that uh, as well. Yeah, we don't leave until like 11 or 11.30 in the morning. Okay. Uh, and then we head over to... Um, into the Catskills past Witch's Hole State Forest. <laughs> nice. Um, and into the historic Warwick Valley where we find ourselves at uh, Silvio's Villa, which is an 18th century inn um, home to travelers. And you know, it's got a long storied history and, of course, haunted as well. So we'll get a wow. uh, little talk there about uh, the history of the Silvio Inn and, and a good lunch, too. That's always good. It's Italian. Always course. good. So Italian, you know, lunch and, uh, you know, mystery. It's always a good thing. That's cool. Yeah. And so just to remind people, these trips are the prices all encompassing. So, I mean, it's whatever you pay, that's for your, your housing. It's for your food on the trip. It's all that, you know, the bus trip, everything. Yeah. Admissions where we're going, uh, you know, of course the, the ghost hunting, um, team that's coming in, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is included. So once you step on the bus, uh, with us, uh, the first morning to the time you step off the the next day in the, in the afternoon, uh, your everything's included. You don't have to reach into your pocket for anything. So it's the same price as we did before. It's nine ninety five a person. Um, that's all inclusive. So, um, you know how you get to the Newark Airport, of course, is is you know up to each person. We don't know where everyone's coming from. Uh, if you're going to fly in, as several people did last time, we can you know you can make arrangements. We can help you with that. Uh, you know, I mean, Jen and I do run our tour company. This is one of you know these tours that we do with Tony or some of the many that we do over the years, uh, each year. So we're perfectly capable of helping you get to, you know, the pickup point at the Newark airport. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, it's easy enough for us to do. You just reach out to us and tell us what you need. And we'll help you do it. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing that I'm so confident with because you guys do this. I mean, if, if I was, if, if I was just saying, Hey, let's do this. I got this idea. Let's just go figure it out. It would be a mess. <laughs> it would be a mess. So I'm just glad that I got people that are, you know, this is what you guys do. And, uh, I'm really excited about round two here and, you know, you know, if, if there's a good turnout, we'll do a third one, fourth one. We'll just keep going. Keep going. Uh, there's no shortage of places we can go check out and stuff in this country. It's just an endless amount of places. In fact, what we're thinking about for July is a place up in Vermont called Wilson Castle. Freaking love it. Uh, which is also very, very haunted. Uh, it's a real castle. It's right? a real castle. Yeah, it's a real castle. It's got real castle history. Uh, you know, as much as you can in a country that's a few hundred years old rather than many centuries, but it's awesome. And, uh, it's really cool. We have to do it in summer because it's not heated in the winter. <laughs> that's right. We, we were talking about doing it, uh, late this year, right? Yeah, we we're going to think we thought about it, like, oh, we'll do it like November or early yeah. December. We called them up. They're like, well, we don't have any heat. So, uh, <laughs> we thought that might be a little too chilly. Yeah. yeah. Vermont and, you know, January. <laughs> Everybody's December, bringing right? their like space heaters on the planes. <laughs> 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 I was really surprised last time. I mean, we had people from all over the country, Idaho, California, people signing up. Yeah. Like, coming in. Uh, it was just like Tennessee, Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, it was Rhode Island. In we had a guy Maryland. from Philly come, which was right in the back. He's like, that's easy. You know, yeah, that was totally, we left from Philly last time. So that was yeah. really easy. But yeah, we've had people from all over. So it was great. And we, I think everyone really that went really had a great time. Yeah. Uh, you know, we got really positive feedback mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. So, uh, you know, we always recommend, um, you know, with a trip like this, uh, travel insurance, because, you know, you always think it's not going to happen to you. But the yeah. fact is, you know, with all the trips that Jen and I run, it happens to someone on every single trip. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's an important aspect. But, you know, give us a call. We'll talk about all those things. And you cover all that stuff as far as, yeah. like, helping them get all that. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that, that people have to understand is that from beginning to end, you guys are there to to guide it. I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle of uh, making some life changes and I'm working with people. And they're just helping me walk through it and stuff, the every process of what we're doing here. So, um, you know, it's the same thing with this. I mean, you call... And from that moment on, you guys are just helping the whole process along. Yeah. So 
Yeah, from you know organizing, just you know getting on to be uh, to to come on the trip to anything you need to get there, or uh, you know we have people come in a day early, we have people you know stay a day after. You know, it depends on flight schedules and so forth. But uh, you know, however much you know you want to stay, or if you want to just get in and out, we can do that. Um, so yeah, whatever you know, sort of logistical help you need and uh, insurance, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we're good with all that. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, if people want to. Come, how do they contact you guys? Excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can just give us a ring. Um, our telephone number is 973-513-9001. You can email us at travelgrouptours at AOL.com. Yes, we still use an AOL email address. <laughs> it's kind of horrifying, but it's, it's stuck. <laughs> so uh, you can either give us a call, uh, give, shoot us an email, uh, and uh, we'll get in touch with you and get you all squared away. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. So if you're interested, go ahead and get a hold of them. And the information, the the phone number, the email will be in the description of this episode. And I'm sure Lindsay will do a write-up on the website for the blog too over, over time here. Uh, you said this was in April, right? April. Yeah. Okay. So it's... Uh, and you can also check out our website too for all the details there. Awesome. Uh, which is um, uh, educatedwanderer.com. Uh, that's... Um, uh, get you there and you'll see everything we do there, but you can specifically zero in on this trip. It's just, you know, the trip title that you look for is the confessionals on tour. Yeah. Uh, uh, the spirits are in. That's what's <laughs> that's the name yeah. of the tour. The oh, that's cool. In, I-N-N, in. That's you come cool. with that, Jen? Oh, really? Yeah, the spirits are in. That's perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, and the, the dates of the tour specifically are April 8th to the 9th. Okay. So that's helpful to know. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, go ahead, guys, and contact them. And if you have any questions, uh, I would direct them towards them. So just get them directly because more than likely, if it didn't cover it on this little conversation, I probably don't know. So <laughs> just, just reach out to Creed and Jen and they'll take care of you. Yep. Um, so go ahead. I was going to say, we can, we'll email you the full write-up of all the details so you'll know exactly what you're in for. Perfect. Uh, you know, at least physically. I can't talk about spiritually, but you yeah. know, we'll, we'll do our best to get that for you too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, enter at your own risk kind of thing. Exactly. So, right. <laughs> all right. So uh, today we got Nick coming on the show today and he started an Instagram account about a year ago. And during that time, he started recording military encounters with the paranormal, cryptozoology and everything in between. And he comes on today for an overtime show. So this is a public show. And then we have a whole other hour segment for members only on the website. But he's going to be sharing all these different military stories that he's gathered over the year or so where these military men are coming forward and sharing what they experienced in the field and more importantly in this country on military bases a lot of weird things happening and he talks about it all today so let's get to nick right now All right, today we got Nick on the show. Nick, what's going on, brother? How's it going, Tony? Thanks for having me on today. Thanks. Uh, quite an honor. I've been listening to the confessionals for a while now, and now I'm finally on the show. Man, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you contacted me a few months ago, and we've been trying to work this out and stuff. Uh, you were on my buddy's podcast, Sasquatch Chronicles, sharing some of these stories. And uh, you have a ton of stories, and you wanted to share more on this show. And I was like, sounds good to me, bro. Uh, so you run an Instagram account called Tales from the Grid Square. Uh, let people know about the Instagram account, how it came about, and uh, what you do with it. Yeah, so um, I'll just start off by saying, so yeah, I am still in the military. Um, I'm not going to give too many details, but I got to put this disclaimer out. 
Uh, so anything I say on this show is not reflective of the U.S. military. Sorry, guys. I'm also just a boring logistics guy. I'm not a cool special forces dude. So if you want to know where all the hidden secrets are in the United States, uh, I'm the wrong guy to talk. Well, I won't give you answers, but we could talk all day about it. That's what they all say, though. So now you just put a target on your back and I'm going to be grilling you now because you just put a target on your back. I know you're lying. They know you're lying. Enjoy the ride, Nick. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, I've always had an interest in paranormal kind of stuff, cryptids, ghosts, everything like that. Uh, I had some experiences that we'll probably talk about later. <laughs> um, but uh, like all good things, it kind of started as a drunken idea. I was uh, drinking one night and uh, I had kind of like some experiences in the military. And I went to JRTC previously, which for those that don't know, JRTC is the Joint Readiness Training Center in Fort Polk, Louisiana. And I kind of had like some weird experiences there. And just talking to other people who had been there and hearing their weird experiences, kind of in one night after a couple of beers, I had this great idea. Like, why don't I start this uh, Instagram page? Um, and that kind of came out about from there was in the there's mil, military meme pages, I guess the best way to describe them, like of every niche. And, you know, if you there's medics, there's there's a medics meme page. If there's, you know, tankers, there's a tankers meme page. Uh, but two of these pages got a deal like way back when COVID started, when um, people basically on lockdown, they were going to do like ghost stories. And I th- thought I was surprised about how many they would post them on their story. And so like they weren't, it wasn't like how I have it on the page now, but like they, they're the ones that started it. And uh, I was surprised about how many people were coming forward with these stories and everything from like ghosts to creatures to stuff in combat, stuff in the barracks. Like I was like, huh, that's really fascinating stuff. So fast forward about a year and a half later, you know, I finally get the idea. Like there's, there's really, they did it like as an event during COVID. I was like, there's really no page that collects all these. So like, why don't I make something like that? And I was just thinking, because for the most part, like in the regular world, yeah, you don't want people to think you're weird or crazy. Right. But like in the military, like, you know, if I hear voices behind me and I turn around, there's no one there. Do I really want to say something? Cause people may think like, mentally and maybe i'm not there and that's that's not to say that there's anything wrong with that but you know there's an extra added layer i think in the military in all militaries about like kind of talking about the weird and i guess the woo if you want to say it um you know because you don't want people to think you're crazy because people think you're crazy they're just not gonna not gonna trust you so i was like well i mean what if i created a page where people could damn me their stories i repost them anonymously kind of like cut out all like any identifiable information except for what they want. So I try to leave it like maybe very vague, like unit. So like a brigade, which is huge to like just the time frame being like a year, right. Unless, unless they want it that way, they, they want like more detail. Some people just want themselves like credited and that's fine. Uh, but that way it's like, Hey, I believe your stories. Like I want to hear your stories and we'll keep it bet- like anonymous. And so then maybe people will be, come and comment and say like, Hey, I saw the same thing. You're not going to be alone. Um, so I started it and then uh, I started getting like people coming in. Yeah. Like people are coming forward with like some very crazy stories and not, not just like, Oh, I saw something in the barracks. Like, you know, Oh, I saw Bigfoot in the training center. I saw a ghost woman standing on the bridge out at, you know, Camp Schwab in Okinawa, like very a lot of people coming forward. And so the page really took off and it really took off thanks to Sasquatch Chronicles too. Uh, going on there, I was able to get 
a ton more veterans on there. And I'm always trying to get more followers to the page. It doesn't really benefit me, but what it does benefit is the more people I can find, the more people I can like troll through for stories. And, uh, you know, Hey, have you ever seen a UFO? And sometimes I'll get like 10 stories that same day about people that have seen like UFOs. Um, and it's just trying to connect that bridge between like, Hey, I'm in the service. You're in the service. Like we have that shared, um, we have that shared experience. Like, tell me what you want to tell others, but you, you feel like you can't. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I know from, five years of podcasting, doing this stuff, it's hard to get military guys to talk. And, uh, so to have a guy that's in the military asking for the stories, I'm sure helps a lot. Uh, you know, because like when, when Charlie was on my show for episode 122, uh, he, he still says things to me that go way over my head. I'm like, bro, I don't know what you're talking about. And he has to break down like the terminology and things because, Whenever we're talking to stuff, he's like, he says things I just don't get. And so I, there's, there's an automatic, uh, gap in, um, in the way you can communicate with one another where it's not the case when you're in the military. Yeah. And I'll put the one caveat to that to those stories. I tell people, like, if you're going to violate OPSEC or some type of NDA that you have signed, do not tell me the story. Like, you the last thing we need is for you to talk about stuff you're not supposed to. And I'm not trying to post government secrets on an open source intelligence website. Uh, so that is, that is the one thing. Most, most of these stories are, you know, from people, regular Joes. Um, I don't get many, uh, like I said, I don't got a lot of cool guys in here, but I got just the regular conventional guys like me uh, telling these stories. You so, got to start, you got to start living on the edge, brother. You got to start living on the edge. You're playing it too not, safe. <laughs> <laughs> Not, not quite yet, Tony. Not quite yet. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Listen, if you keep this page going and stuff, and if you ever get out of the military, whenever that day comes and stuff, man, you could have a fun, fun time in the next chapter of that page's existence. So yeah, there's, definitely, <laughs> there's definitely days I like come across things and I'm like, hmm, or people tell me things and I'm just like, I really want to dig into this more or like, you know, sometimes I will share stuff, but I will significantly cut down details on purpose to like make it very vague. <laughs> yeah. You got to protect yourself on that stuff. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, so, all right, let's, let's start talking about some of these stories and stuff. So just to let the audience know what we're getting into, uh, you know, I did a giant of the, of Kandahar story with Ellie Marzuli back when I first started, I think it was like episode 18. I was like shell shocked when I reached out to him and like within an hour or two, he reached back to me and he's like, sure, I'll come on. I'm like, but I'm a new podcast. Uh, I'm not going to tell him a new podcast. I'm just going to go, you know, I was stunned. So I was like shell shocked when I had to talk to the guy, uh, but he did hit on the Kandahar giant and uh, he actually is in the intro. So a lot of times people over the years have asked me about the Kandahar giant stories and stuff. And I'm like, well, you got to go all the way back to episode 18. Sorry in advance for the audio quality. Uh, and so uh, but we're going to do that. And we got some paranormal stuff, some Russian uh, military, some Iraqi stuff, uh, the Afghan skinwalker. I'm very interested in hearing about that. And even down to like cults, like an occultic kind of uh, story coming out of Iraq. So we're going to be kind of jumping all over the place of stories that you've collected. And uh, you have a we talked about this before. You have a great order of things as of right now, as far as what we're going to get into here. And so we're going to keep it in the order you have it. I want to let everybody know right now, this is going to be an overtime show and a member show week with Nick here. So 
This is the first hour. The second hour is going to be an overtime. Right after this, you can listen to the overtime segment with more of Nick's personal stories that he has had. And then uh, later in the week, we're going to have him back for a members episode where we're going to go into more stories from his page. Uh, he's got that many friends. So it's definitely an Instagram page to check out if you haven't done so already. Tales from the Grid Square. Nick, I hand it over to you, my friend. Let's start off with the Kandahar Giant. Sweet. All right, Tony. So this is probably my favorite story from the page just because it is the only story I've ever gotten that's even close to the story of the giant of Kandahar. And I fully believe this individual, um, this individual fully believes what he saw. So I'll start off just to phrase it. So before I start the story, it is actually in the Kunar province of Afghanistan. Um, So it's not exactly in Kandahar, but it's in a similar kind of area. So start this story. All right. I was deployed as an infantry team leader with the army in the Kunar province of Afghanistan from 2008 to 2009. One night we set up on an observation patrol to overlook a village that was suspected IEDs were coming out of due to a successful IED recovery we had done a few weeks prior. My LT gave me a new thermal imaging system called the Recon 3 that none of us were familiar with and told me, how, told me to figure it out so I can pass along that information to the other team leaders. That's a classic, classic army statement. Yeah, we don't know how to use this. Figure it out. <laughs> <That's a story. laughs> I started messing with the Recon 3 to see its capabilities and was surprised at the clarity of the zoom on it. I spent most of my time messing with the different functionalities and watching the village. I started to look across the valley to see what I could see, and that led me to look along the spur we set, on, set in on it and saw a very large heat signature at the top of one of these false peaks. I did everything I could to get a clear, as clear of an image as I could, suspecting it was a group of Taliban huddled together around a light, as they tend to do in the mountains. All of a sudden, this heat signature stood up as one being. The trees in that area grew up to 10 to 12 feet tall, and this thing was at least as tall, if not taller, than the trees that surrounded it. It started taking steps parallel to my position, and it was covering ground quickly with ease. Its stride was slow and relaxed, yet it moved with incredible speed. That led me to believe that this, whatever I was seeing, this creature or not, was gigantic. It very quickly traversed the landscape, and I lost sight of it along a neighboring spur. I did not believe what I saw initially, assuming that I had imagined it. I had never seen anything like it in my life. And I didn't really tell people about it while I was in, even when I got out. I kept that story to myself, thinking that there was no way I saw what I saw. But then in 2010, I listened to a story on Coast to Coast, specifically the story about the giant of Kandahar. And that made me made all the memories of my time in service come flooding back and made me consider other things I saw during that deployment. For instance, the creature was described as having fire orange hair and reminded me of a tradition the locals in the area would do. They would dye their hair bright orange color and even dye some of the goats the same color. They never gave an explanation why they would do this, and it seemed like they would do this every once in a while, and then all of a sudden those dyed goats would be gone, and the locals' hair would no longer be dyed orange. I assumed that it was maybe a cultural thing I didn't understand, but now it makes me wonder if that was some kind of gesture to the creature, Nephilim, or the goats were sacrificed to it. I am a Christian, and the Bible briefly discussed the men of renown, aka the Nephilim. I think that's what I saw, a member of an ancient race of giants descended from fallen angels, or it could be something like a Sasquatch. I'm not sure. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah. The way you were describing that story to begin with, I thought I had heard this one already from the actual person, but it's a totally different okay. story. So it, it really, this is something that military guys over there have seen. I, I Like like I said, I've talked to somebody, it's never been on the show, but I, I've talked to somebody who was looking through night vision down into a valley. I guess they were observing a town or something. And they and they saw some kind of giant running out of the town, and 
he covered thousands of feet within like a matter of a minute, just shot right up into the mountains. And so, uh, that's, I thought you were kind of going with that story. I was like, Oh crap, I know exactly who this is. <laughs> and, and it wasn't him though. So, um, that's really interesting. So, uh, what, what do you make of the whole giant, the giant stories coming out of the middle East? I mean, before you started doing this stuff, is this something that you kind of were interested in? Yeah. So actually, uh, believe it or not, and I, I wish I could find the book when I was a kid, I had this like this old bound book. I think it might've been for when my dad was a kid, but it was like great mysteries of the world or something like that. Um, unsolved mysteries of the world. And, uh, there was a whole chapter in it about giants and talking about how my brother and I were fascinated with this. And we, this was like kind of led to a little hobby of ours looking into it, but basically like, you know, the whole story people there, the native tribes, tell stories of fighting giants that ate people and they wiped them out. And when the settlers came in and they started moving into the native lands, they started finding giant skeletons and they're like, Hey, like there's these massive seven to nine feet tall skeletons in North America. And then the Smithsonian comes and kind of collects them all. And then they kind of disappear from public eye. And so the story, you know, and, and I'm finding out looking into that, that that's kind of like, that was more information on that. I don't know. I think maybe shoot, I could believe it maybe different uh, subset of humans. I don't know. Like maybe in Afghanistan, people have told me I've never been deployed to Afghanistan, but uh, I've talked to people who have, and I've talked to people that have lived there. And uh, they've told me that there's, there's places that even Afghans have not even gone to yet. Mountains like so deep and valleys So hidden away that like you could put a whole village in there and um, you would never know. And in fact, a good example of that is uh, another Sasquatch Chronicles episode previous to mine. A gentleman goes on the show and he talks about going to a village in Afghanistan that is so detached from the rest of the world that, you know, they they thought the ocean was a myth. They thought it was made up like uh, a joke. That's or that when a plane flies overhead, they call it an X because they don't know what it is. So I don't know. I think it, I think it could be possible, especially like someplace like Afghanistan, to have something just hidden out there. Yeah, you know, I I have some people that I've obviously been in connection with over the years that have been in Afghanistan or were deployed in Afghanistan. And uh, I've been told that there's a section of Afghanistan that does connect to China. It's like a 30 mile section of border. And, National Park, right? Yeah. And and uh, I've been told that he was told by locals that there are giants up there and that's why nobody goes up in there. And uh, it, it's it, it's interesting. It's interesting. And, you know, it, it just makes you wonder what's going on and and why, like you mentioned about the Western world kind of thing, it it makes you wonder what what the differences are between cultures that makes uh, a government want to cover up such information if they were. I know you can't go too deep on things here, but uh, I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I... Uh, I was talking to Dark Waters, and I can't remember if this was uh, a pub- the public segment or the overtime, but he talked about uh, a giant in the sw- in the swamps of Louisiana, and the swamps of Louisiana, when the storm came through, cleared out a section where people for the first time could go back on boats, and you know it was a like whole new fishing game game area, and um, there was this report that came out that there was like some giant being as tall as trees watching from the shoreline. And so there's definite rumors and that's just one story. There's definite stories coming out of, uh, United States of America of people seeing giants, 
not Bigfoot, giants. And uh, it, it just, it makes you wonder, like, how do they hide? Like, like you want to, you, if you're curious about how Bigfoot hides, like, how do you, how does a 20 foot tall yeah. giant humanoid hide? Like, how is that, how is that even possible? You know? And so, uh, but then, then again, when you start getting way, like, so, so many, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that most of the people that listen to my show, Wes's show, Dark Water show, uh, that they, most of the people, I'm not saying everybody, but most people, I believe, don't really live in areas that are super vastly rural. Um, and, and, and you don't, you just can't comprehend how vast some of these spaces are. Uh, I couldn't comprehend how large the Daniel Boone National Forest was until I went there. And I was stunned that when I saw a sign on the highway saying, welcome to the Daniel Boone National Forest, I looked at how long I had to drive and it was like an hour still to get to the point of where I was going in the Daniel Boone. And I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And so that in those kind of moments, it makes you really realize that, you know, it's... <laughs> there's a lot of space out here still. So yeah. uh, who knows what could be hiding? Yeah. I definitely think somebody I read somewhere. How many times have you like black bears? One of those common animals in North America. How many times have you seen you know, a dead black bear on the side of the road or a dead black bear in the middle of the woods? You know, they things that things that know what humans are and know how to hide, like will never be found by us. Especially if you, you go in the woods trying to find them and not hunt them, I think. I think that's that's you'll never find these things. Yeah, I agree. I'm well, I'm gonna be hunting them, so it is what it is. <laughs> I I'm not kidding. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, Tony, you can uh, you can count me in on that whenever I get yeah. back to the to the actual mainland. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. So uh let's move on to the next one, man. Okay, so this next story here is in Iraq and it covers an individual who was an Abrams crew member um in two deployments one in 2003 and one to 2006. Okay. So the first one is Samara, Iraq, 2003. I had participated with the invasion of Iraq back in 2003 as an Abrams crew member in the U S army. We marched all the way North to Missoula and then turned around and headed back to Samara where we finally set up a permanent fob. Nearest to Samara, there are these incredibly ancient ruins, the spiral minaret and the golden mosque later destroyed by ISIS. These ruins were the best though. They were always even though like I was never able to actually walk through them and check it out, we patrolled nearby to make sure everything was quiet. And it was just, it was just really cool to look at. One time filling into the gunner's position, we were scanning the ruins at night to look for any obvious hot spots of insurgents. Some of the stones in these ruins still retain heat residual heat from the hot sun and they would produce like a glow on our IR. So we had to be careful. This only happened a few times, but it was reported by several tank crews as well as our scouts with their LSR trucks. Oh, I'm sorry. LRS trucks. But sometimes when scanning the ruins, there are these cold spots that would move through the ruins and in between the burial sites and the nearby mausoleum. These would show up clear as day on our powerful main gun sites, but there were no bodies, objects, or anything like that. Just these incredibly cold spots in the air moving around slowly through the ruins, moving in and front behind stones, and it was the weirdest thing I ever saw in that deployment. And we still never really got an answer what was going on. Now, that was you gotta think about that too. Like on an Abrams tank, like, those thermal sites are super powerful. So like, I, I mean, this is so powerful. It's like, I think it's top secret, like some of the capabilities to, you know, but like if they're picking up something on those thermals, there's definitely something there. Okay. All right. So the second story is, uh, 
the same individual. He's in Taji, Iraq, 2006. So I was a tank commander in the M1A2 at SCP main battle tank. Uh, so that's like kind of a newer model tank. Um, and my platoon and I, four Abrams, were spread out along a thousand meters on MSR Tampa to keep an eye on convoys. It's probably about three in the morning and I have the entire crew getting some sleep while I stay up monitoring the, the thermals and the cameras. While doing a routine scan, I see a light in the sky that's brighter than anything else I can see that night. It pops up on the CITV and I see it with my own eyes. I have the tank running on battery power, so there's no noise from the turbine and the CITV doesn't require hydraulics, so it's also silent. Whatever this thing was, it made no noise, hovered in place probably 300 to 400 meters out and moved around just a bit and then took off super fast. I never really felt threatened by it, just super curious. This was 2006, so personal drones weren't really a thing in small Iraqi villages. And the only drones we had at the time were incredibly loud and couldn't really hover in place. I talked to my platoon about it. No one else saw anything. I talked it up to being a lack of sleep, stress, and dehydration. They could be right, but it certainly seemed real to me, whatever the hell it was. So, I mean, did he come short of saying it was a UFO? He did, but uh, he's like, I don't know what I saw. But uh, another story that I was able to get from people in the same time, uh, people saw the black triangles in Iraq, you know, whatever. And I know that's uh, black triangles are a common thing. And I know, I think there's, a, I haven't seen it yet, the J.J. Abrams documentary, uh, UFO, but they talk about like the, um, it was at the orbit, airship to orbit program. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Not really, no. So it's basically like the gist of it is the government may have allegedly created these like supersonic airships. Basically, like they're like they look like a giant wedge shape, like the the triangle, and they they kick on engines and they can go supersonic speeds and they kick them off and they can float silently because they're an airship. And um, apparently, these things were, according to the the documentary, they've been operating for a while. And so I've always wondered, like. Maybe we had those things out there in Iraq. I don't know. I don't know what an, an airship that can go supersonic speeds and into space would be of use to the military, but I can only only guess. A few years ago, I, I did a whole video on, uh, and it's on YouTube. It's probably buried, but you got to look for it. But there's like these pyramid-shaped UFOs popping up in D.C. over the Pentagon. And yeah, I've seen that. And what was interesting about that was it was caught on video by several different people. Like there's a group of guys in a car driving by the Pentagon and they, they recorded it. There was another guy in Arlington cemetery who I had on the show who recorded it. Like this was something that actually happened caught on video. And it, it makes it like at the time I was thinking, you know, either this is 100% real and something's going on and nobody's even talking about this or it would be a hologram, which is another thing that I started thinking about because uh, there's also video and I don't know why they did this, but there was a video that came out not too long ago of, uh, uh, AOC. It was a hologram of her crying. It was, a, it, there's a famous picture of her crying at the border wall from, from years ago. And they, they took the picture of her crying and made it a hologram above the uh, Capitol building. And, uh, and that, that was caught on video too. And I don't know why they did it, did that. I mean, but it, it's certain to show that, there's the capability that they have to do such things. And so uh, I don't know if the, the pyramid that I had featured was real or if it was a hologram. I don't know. But uh, when it comes to it popping up all over the world, then it makes you really wonder. It seems like these things are probably pretty real. Yeah, no, I, uh, I've definitely been paying attention to the UFO sightings recently. And I think maybe 
people are more open to it or maybe they're just seeing more. But uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting, especially with, uh, you know, the U.S. Navy coming out and saying like, yeah, there's, well, now it's unknown aerial phenomena in the sky and we don't know what they are. Oh, also known as UFO. I, I, yeah. Stop! You guys need to stop making up new names for stuff we've been calling for years. I mean, what is wrong? It's with the you? military. We we love new acronyms. Um, what the heck? No, nah, I find it super fascinating. Yeah, because like even here in Hawaii, about a year ago, um, there was like a big UFO sighting um, on the western side, and it was after New Year's. And so, if you don't, if you've never been to Hawaii on New Year's, uh, fireworks are illegal, and like the whole sky is lit up with fireworks. Like, like literally, like, I don't think if you're an aircraft, you want to fly anywhere in Europe because there's that many. But after the fireworks had stopped, people reported seeing this like big blue orb of light in the sky moving around. Um, and, you know, the, I just find it funny because after like, now there's this uptick in sightings out at sea and like, you know, back people all over the world, people seeing stuff. I always wonder like, maybe are we just paying more attention or is it like increasing? I just, I find this stuff super fascinating. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to gauge which one of that it is, but the ones that are popping up out of sea and stuff, I think, really start pushing to the idea of uh, them coming from underneath the water. I mean, makes I, sense. I've talked about it before on the show. I have pictures of them of one coming out of the water. It was going super yeah. fast. The guy got it on video, and so I have three still pictures of it shooting from the water into the sky, and it's something shot out of the water, and so it just. Yeah. You know, and then when you have what ninety five percent of the the Earth's water is unexplored, I mean, it's a lot mm-hmm. of space to to hide whatever you want in there if you have the the ability to. So, and then there's also you have to just also I know it's like the not popular theory, but technology in itself is something really incredible and in how fast it moves. I mean, I think China just tested like some hypersonic missile, uh, I think last yesterday or something like that. Um, but like the amount of tech, the the level of technology that we see now besides what's going on behind the scenes, I'm sure is like a night and day difference. Um, sorry, people, I don't know what you're talking about. I still have vehicles from like built in the seventies. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I haven't seen anything, but I could imagine that technology behind the scenes is much more advanced than we have now. And I think, I think I even saw like patents from all sorts of militaries to do like drones that can go in and out of the water at, at random. Um, so I always wonder like, What's what's scarier? There's UFOs out there. We have technology that is so advanced; it makes you know the F-22 look like a toy plane. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, then I just want to make sure we have that technology. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I talked to a guy, and when I'm done talking here, we'll get back to the stories. But I, I just I want to say this that uh, years ago I was doing delivery, and I talked to a guy who used to be an engineer in the military back in the sixties. And he told me this was probably four, three, four years ago. He told me the technology we have today, they had back in the sixties that they were, they were working on developing it back then. And so he, he just told me, he's like, man, the government has far beyond the technology that we can even imagine right now. And, uh, and so it was kind of interesting to hear from somebody who was an engineer in the military designing like the night vision that we have today accessible to civilians. He's like, we had that way back then. <laughs> like, that's just the way it works. Oh yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting when you start thinking about it. Yeah. All right. And Before I get you in trouble though, let's move on to another story. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So this next story is these next two are going to be from Vietnam. Um, so I got this story a while back and I liked it because it reads like something out of apocalypse now. 
Um, so this individual, his father was in Vietnam, and this is a story that his dad has like recounted to him. So it goes like this. So my father was in Vietnam and saw some crazy shit. One base he was on, which he won't tell me the names, it's no longer there. He doesn't want me to try and look it up and accidentally end up on a watch list. It was a sweet assignment. My dad had to work in an office, fix copiers, printers, or whatever random nonsense equipment and admin paper that they had there. He said he got picked to be sent there, and it was like an easy assignment for him, so he didn't complain. It's a small base with about 100 other guys, all sorts of people that, again, were picked out to be stationed there. They used to come up with stories and jokes about why they were sent there, but it was cool at first, and they would party and have fun, typical old-school army shenanigans. My dad worked on a crew with about 12 to 15 other guys, and what they had to do was they had to sort through paperwork. Now, none of the papers made any sense. The only way they could sort through them was by a number at the top. Some of the things on there were like the types of a certain flower and some didn't make any sense at all. Like they were just word vomit. They would get boxes and boxes of these paper to sort through every day through a big truck. They didn't have a quota or really anyone telling them what to do. So they usually work just the standard six to eight hours. They would call it quits for the night. And around two months in, they would start to experience things that would become a regular phenomenon. My dad said that he would wake up in the morning and everything in his room would be shaking. Like he was in the middle of an earthquake. When he went outside, everyone was looking around. My dad asked a few guys what they were looking for. And one of my guys, one of the guys said that they saw something big fly over the base. My dad thought maybe it was a bomber or something. So he brushed them off. After that, they had regular earthquakes to the point that they couldn't react anymore. And then they wouldn't react anymore. At night, they started to see lights and colors flash outside their windows. And they would hear noises as if they were outside alone, night or, night or day. A few guys got spooked and would request and would eventually request to be reassigned. One by one, the guys who were usually chillingly back would start to snap and become panic shells of themselves, just overall paranoid and just high strung. One, my, one night, my dad was outside when he hears what sounds like running, like someone full sprinting, but like all around him, like things like people just running all around him. Like it was everywhere he looked, but it was just missing just by that split second what he was seeing, like going around a corner. He tossed a cigarette away and began to walk. He started to hear what sounded like a squeaking noise behind him, and it began to fill him with a pure dread, more than anything he has felt in his life, like he knew he was about to die. Luckily, he tossed a cigarette. when he tossed the cigarette, it was caught into a patch of dried grass, and it caught it on fire. He snapped out of it once he saw the fire spreading and ran to grab a fire extinguisher. But when he came back, it was daylight, and people were out looking for him. He had been missing for four hours, but it felt like minutes to my dad. Not long after, another guy went crazy and set a building on fire. Big trucks showed up, and my dad and the others were left on left that base. Well, my dad was a bit of a shithead in the army, and decided that he would go AWOL, and a few others would with a few others, and they would try to find that base again. But when he said he reached the area, the entire place was an overgrown field, like nothing had ever been there. My dad couldn't explain it, but he remembered everything clearly. In the following years, everyone he, who he spoke to couldn't tell him anything about that base. Just my dad and the handful of others that were with him could remember. That's trippy. That like, is trippy. Like, just like, what? It goes like, it's, yeah, I don't know. The individual who was here thinks that either his dad is, he, he doesn't believe his dad was making it up. He thinks his dad is being 100% true. He thinks that his dad was involved in some type of like, I don't know, if wandering soul, if you've ever heard of that. No, I don't think so. What is that? So it was, it was a kind of a vague operation in Vietnam done by the psychological warfare basically and it was to they did some stuff to basically make to wage psychological warfare against um you know the 
the Viet Cong and the NVA. And yeah, there's kind of vague details on how they did that. And so the idea is that maybe, you know, they, there's no results to it too. This is, this is all from I read on a Wikipedia article, but there's people that think that they were doing other stuff, like experimenting on other people. And, you know, I mean, like trying to maybe like introducing LSD or something into like water, just to see like how people would react to see how they could use that. Um, I don't know that, or he thinks his dad was like on a base and we're getting messed with by like aliens and stuff like that. Well, it's, it's weird that he, when he got back to where the base was at one point, it was just a field. I mean, he didn't mention that his dad saw, you know, tire marks or, you know, spots where you could see where a building was at one time. It was a field. And yeah, maybe it makes me think that maybe it was just all in his head. I don't know. <laughs> or if you want to get trippy with it, that his dad didn't know what he was involved in with the military, but whatever they were doing was accessing that maybe they had access to a parallel dimension that they were putting soldiers into. Not that his dad accessed it, but they was put in into it. I'm just saying like, listen, Nick, I, I, I'm just saying, I, I can't, I can't get you in trouble, but I'm just saying <laughs> like, there's a lot of weird things that come out over the years, you know, like the idea of the Philadelphia experiment, you know? And so my uncle was in studio and he said that the Philadelphia, and he was in the, in the Navy for 20 some years, the Philadelphia experiment, absolutely 100% real. Uh, but what Hollywood has made it is not real. And so, you know, I don't know. I'm just saying it seems like if his dad's telling the truth that his dad, how do you explain it? How do you explain it? I could just, I could just see it now. All right. Hey, private, I need you to, you're going to go into this parallel dimension. Don't touch the fabric of reality because it can unravel everything. I listen, if I could have time talking to his <laughs> dad, I would ask engaging questions as to how he got to where he went. Tell me, where you were and then where you got to and the step-by-step process of there. And and you start pulling at the threads to see if there's, there's anything that, you know, as you, as people say things that you, you're like, you question on it and then it gets them thinking like, yeah, you know what, that, that was a little weird, you know, and you start trying to figure it out. But if that thing was never there when he went back, it, it looked like it just was never there. Then either he and the rest of the guys just, we're tripping on LSD and they all have the same memories or something really bananas bizarre went on. And uh, we're not supposed to believe in those kind of things. Yeah. I don't know. I can also believe the U S army just, you know, Oh, we found a terror in the fabric of society. Ah, we're going to put a base here. <laughs> right? Oh, where'd the base go? <laughs> uh. <laughs> if there's a, if there's a piece of inhospitable land or, you know, Oh yeah, this land is haunted, but it's cheap. Oh, yeah, we're putting a base there. <laughs> and then all the weird stuff starts happening. Yep. You know, that, hey, that's very likely, right? That's a very real possibility. <laughs> I mean, just look where all the army bases are in the middle of nowhere, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it for a premium. <laughs> I'm still, well, I'll say it. I'm still looking for a uh, a certain type of base that I think exists that is not on any maps and within my state. And so... Um, I'm still, I'm still coming for it, Nick. You're not going to stop me. So. <laughs> All right, Tony. I just, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe the entrance what? is your garage. L- listen with that. If, if it gets you in trouble maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe. 
But that stuff is any anything. If 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 that stuff did exist, Tony, that would be entirely way over my pay grade and way over right. my realm. Like I said, I'm, I'm just a I'm, I'm not, just a ditch digger. I'm not trying to get you in trouble though. But <laughs> uh, if you can answer this, what are your thoughts on the deep underground military bases? So, like, I'm sure just strategically there's there there are probably something like that and this is just my opinion this is just me you know as just a normal guy saying this i'm sure that there are some bases that they have like that just because it makes sense like with the cold war and the threat of nuclear war and stuff like that now do i think that like now with modern media coverage that the ones that are established like cheyenne mountain and like some of the other ones that get on put on paper yeah, maybe there's there's probably more, but they are, they are probably like very very hush hush. Um, and I think those are more like along. I think they're more really for the conti- continuity of government, you know. Um, and I'm sure now with modern technology, you can dig stuff, and you know, there's the entrances, the McDonald's bathroom, and no one would ever know the wiser. You know what I mean? Like, um, I'm sure for security reasons, there there are stuff like that now. I, massive places that are so big that they're the size of small cities. Uh, just you know, I'm a logistics guy, so I just look at it like you know, people eat a lot, people waste a lot, people make a lot of trash. Like all this stuff has to come from somewhere to some place. So I mean, there would be mountains of trash or like lines of pickup trucks and semi trucks. That would be a thing. You would need. I mean, as a truck as a trucker, like. The U.S. military and the U.S. government uses civilian contractors to move this around. That's just part of our logistics system. So, like, if there was a super secret hidden base in the mountain, you would just need to follow the the the, the trucks. I don't think you could keep that hidden. Now, I'm sure there's some. If we want to get to more woo, like the, maybe there's there's other shit they use. But if I use it, just look at that from purely like hidden in plain sight. They need a fuel. They need fuel. They need they need beans, bullets, and like water. Like those are like they need food all the stuff that run and they need water, especially water. Um, all that stuff has to come from somewhere. So, all right, here's my thoughts back to you. Uh, you're wrong. No, it's <laughs> but, uh, so in Pennsylvania, we do have a deep underground military base. It's called Raven rock. It's on the maps. You can, find, you can find it, all that stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of people that suggest that it is connected underground to camp David and that's not too hard to imagine because Raven Rock and Camp David are extremely close. I think within like five miles. Uh, so if that's true, which I don't see any reason why it couldn't be true, uh, then we have an example of an underground military base that is known to the public connecting to another military base. So if they wanted to, not like they don't have, they're not short on funds, they have no problem printing money. Uh, they could do maybe a deep underground military base where it's secret. And the only way to access it is through Raven Rock or one of the known places. I've talked to truck drivers who have gone into Raven Rock and they have one delivery. Like it's just like, cause when you go into these places, you can only have what is there for that place. You can't just have a bunch of general freight on there. So like, yeah. just to say it's one pallet. And I've, I've talked to one guy who was picking up one pallet, uh, but let's just say it's one truckload. He was there all day long. And so say a trash truck goes into Raven Rock and is gone for eight hours. It wouldn't be unusual. 
there's there's truckers that go in there and they sit and they wait and they wait. And so I'm just saying on my end, uh, I could see how that could be possible. We hear people talk about strange booms and no no understanding of where it's coming from. Well, maybe it's there's some kind of construction going on underground and that's why you have no idea where it's coming from. Uh, just my own thoughts. Uh, this is why we're only giving your first name and we're not doing this on video. So <laughs> I don't want to get you in trouble. No, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty valid point. So I, mean, I just look at it from like what, like the conventional dude. I also, I always, I, I laugh, like the one thing I could, I always bugs me, like, right. By secret military bases, right. Who do they have staffing this? Cause if they just pick up some, Joe Snuffy, some regular guy off the street. Oh, come on, like everybody's on TikTok nowadays. I mean, I've always wondered. Like, I mean, I guess if you make them sign a non-disclosure agreement, it's a legally binding document. Um, it's, it's. I think there's a lot of that, though. I really do. I think there's a lot of vetting as to who go gets access to certain true. things, and once you are somebody that they think is able to to do what they need you to do, then you have to sign a legal document and you're already fitting the profile of somebody that they think would be fine with whatever. And so the odds are you'll be fine. Uh, we have people like um, that were civilians like Bob Lazar. I don't know if you feel uh, how you feel mm-hmm. about Bob Lazar, but uh, he was a civilian working in S4 and he technically went AWOL. He started talking and showing people things and it created a lot of problems in his life. Uh, and so, you know, I, that, that, that maybe even Bob Lazar himself over the years has been an example for other people not to talk about the things that they're doing. Uh, and then the, Bob, I think Bob said that, you know, he would get on, I think it was like a blacked out bus. They, they had no idea how to, how, how to get to where they were going or something like that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm confusing stories now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, but no, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had an escort. Like he couldn't just drive to where he worked. He had to be at a certain spot to get on a bus to to be driven, oh, yeah. and so I'm sure there's layers and layers of security at these places. But I'm always yeah. just curious. Oh yeah, I mean, no curiosity is what you know is ultimately going to get me killed. So I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, anyways, let's move on to another story, brother. Okay, all right. So this next story is also a Vietnam related story. So the background on this is I'll post little articles on the page that I find uh, mainly a lot from the Bigfoot Field Research Organization because it's it's easy and I can filter through like, you know, Fort Polk and I can get like some hits on Fort Polk. But um, I did, it was like Googling paranormal Vietnam, like just going by like each one of our major wars. Uh, and so I found this one article from the, is like kind of like a military website called We Are The Mighty. And it was like, Basically, it was talking about a legend in Vietnam troops talked about called the tree people. And it's not like related to like uh, the like the other sightings of like Sasquatch like creatures and other weird things that soldiers saw there. So uh, the gist of it was that there are these soldiers who saw like these shadows that look like people or sometimes they saw like actual people in the trees or at the base of these trees inside like the under the shade. Um, and at night they would see them walking around everywhere. And, and then it takes a little bit of a woo kind of like turn. And then it talks about like how that they, these were actually like zombies. The Montagnards told them like, there's these like ghost ghoul things. And then like how the soldiers actually found like these zombie like creatures of like, you know, dead NVA and Viet Cong and American soldiers. And they uh, had to be killed. They, the light burned them. So they hid in the trees. Um, 
it got kind of weird. And so that's why, like, we, quote unquote, we used Agent Orange in Vietnam. That was the claim. Uh, I don't know how much I buy into that one. But when I posted that, I was like, oh, let me just post this kind of interesting story. I don't know if I buy into it too much. I actually had two individuals reach out to me. Uh, one individual whose husband served in Vietnam, another individual whose late family friend also served in Vietnam, who kind of led some credence to that story, maybe more of like the supernatural, maybe not like the zombies running around Vietnam, but like, uh, you know, kind of like maybe there was actually something to this story. Uh, so the first part here, uh, my husband served in Vietnam from 1970 to 1971. He and others saw what they called the tree spirits in Vietnam. Tree spirits are soldiers who died fighting in Vietnam. My husband said that you could see shadows that look like soldiers with weapons. He says you could distinguish the shadows if they were Viet Cong, NVA, or even American soldiers. It like it looked like they were. It was just the shadow outline of those people. Perhaps they were guarding the area. He didn't think those spirits knew that they were dead. And when the night sky would light up with artillery illumination rounds, he would see them their shadows all in the trees, like they would physically be in the trees, like on the branches looking down. And so the second part is from another story. And this individual recounts a story that his friend, his dad's late friend, Miles. Um, so my dad's late friend, Miles, used to be in a recon battalion in Vietnam. He saw some messed up stuff because they were usually alone and way ahead of everyone else. Typical of like a reconnaissance battalion. He told me that once in a while, you'd see people at night, like silhouettes in the trees, bushes, and grass. He described a few of them as all black and like shadows. And a few others were like the predator, you know, that see-through, not not typical see-through, like not invisible. But because they're thick of it, they think they thought it was just the enemy. It could, could be anything, but nothing would phase them. You'd shoot through these shadows and these like glimmers and they would just stand there and stare at you. Like, I guess like what he described as they, they would just turn and like be pointed at your direction. Miles used to tell me that he believed the government was doing experiments out there or the land was cursed. He also believed that the ghosts couldn't leave the field. So they would just wait and watch the battles. Miles was also a crazy bastard, even up until his death. But when it came to Vietnam, he was always dead serious and he never swore. He always swore that he wasn't lying. So I got those two stories and it made me really think that maybe there is something to those spirits, uh, the tree people, the tree spirits. Just another interesting Vietnam story. Yeah, and that, that actually maybe it rings a bell for me because it's more local than me. But the idea of Gettysburg, um, people swear they see apparitions all over Gettysburg from the deadliest yep. battle of the Civil War. And so the idea of, you know, that do you do you know of any reason why they would be in trees, though? I mean, do you, was this something that maybe they did so, tactically? So what I so I mean, so obviously, like the Viet Cong and the, would, and the NVA would use the trees as cover. Um, but so what I only thing I could find was that there was like a, a a legend in Vietnam of some of like the more rural tribes. And don't quote me on this. I did like when I say research, I'm like, let me look at Wikipedia after work. Like five before I go minutes to sleep. later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now I'm up late. But it was basically like a legend that, that the ghost of people who died in the jungle would basically congregate around these trees. Um and that, that's that's really all I could find on it. Well, nothing like, you know, they were hostile or anything like that, or like the zombie, kind of like the story was going for the original one I found. But it was more like um, like they're just apparitions that had died in battle and they just stayed there, you know? Yeah. Or they were still watching. They were they were like, I don't know, it was it was it was not a lot of information I could find. It, and that's where it gets hard, like with foreign stories. Um, you know, when I have to dig into that because it's different search engines and like language barrier. Um 
if every now and again I'm lucky and I find someone from those parts of the world that'll like elaborate or help me feed me stories. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe they were just ghosts, you know? Yeah. Um, Hawaii has a legend of the night marchers, which I don't know if you're familiar. No. So night marchers are the ghosts and spirits of ancient Hawaiian warriors. And uh, they will occasionally appear in places that are of great spiritual and significance to the local Hawaiians. Um, so places where like there have been battles and stuff like that. And they appear basically like they'll appear at a distance or they'll walk up to you. And when you see them, you're supposed to leave. Like it, the, the, the legend is you don't stay because it's, it's bad luck, it's bad, it's bad business for you. They're telling you to leave. Um, and you'll see them marching with torches. Some people report the light. Some people report the actual apparition, like a full bodied um, ancient Hawaiian warrior standing there. And they don't do anything overly hostile. They just watch you, but it's like, that's, that's your cue. Okay. Time to go. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty big predominant legend. There's even people that see it like it's in some of the training areas here. Yeah. There, there's a lot of legends coming out of Hawaii. Uh, I, my, one of my show artists lives in Hawaii. He's, you know, his name's Alika. He's pure Hawaiian. Uh, and he, he tells me stories a lot whenever we get to talking. And one of these days I got to have him back on the show. I had him on before and stuff, but there's so much that he could share from the local oh, legends. Yes. I mean, it's, and he's, he's like a, he's a historian, uh, essentially. Really? Yeah. I mean, not like, it's not his job. He's a full-time artist, but, um, his bloodline comes from royalty in Hawaii and he just like 100%, uh, is firmly rooted in his lineage where he knows the history of the, of the land. He knows the legends. He knows everything. He's like a, a walking encyclopedia for Hawaii and he loves it. Like he loves his land. Um, uh, so much respect for him, but, um, that, that is interesting. And, uh, I got some, uh, some thoughts about the zombie angle, but I'm actually going to not talk about it on the recording, uh, because I might actually do something else with that angle later and I don't want to give it away, but I'll tell you later. Uh, okay. but yeah, Excited. it's interesting. So go ahead and carry on my friend. All right. So this next story is really unique. And is it that it comes from Russia out of a member of someone who served in the Russian armed forces? So <clears throat> disclaimer, even though media pumps it up and, you know, we, we talk about it, Russia, we're not technically at war with Russia. So like, you know, I will take stories from anyone. So this guy, and this guy actually served, he came over here, became a U.S. citizen and served in the U.S. Army. Totally legal to do as long as you pass the background check. And he passed every background check known to man. Um so, but he has two really interesting stories. And I think it's interesting because, you know, those countries that we may or may not have necessarily a friendly relationship with, or like kind of like that standoffers relationship, like we do. I always wonder, like, you know, countries like Iran, Iraq, uh, Russia, China, like paranormal stuff and crazy stuff is not just limited to the Western world. Like, what are they experiencing there that makes their history? And then more importantly, you know, outside of the Western world, people have a different way of viewing the paranormal, you know, in Russia, like, you know, ghosts and spirits are just kind of like, Oh yeah, there's one that lives down the road in the swamp. Don't, don't walk past her at midnight. It'll drag you into the swamp and drown you. Common knowledge. Like, yeah. It's common knowledge. Or like, you know, Oh yeah, no, that's just, that's our, that demon you saw. That's just our, you know, our local, that is our friendly neighborhood guardian. Just don't cuss around it and keep mind your manners and you'll be okay. <laughs> you know, so I, I always find it super fascinating. And I actually have, you know, this is one of the individuals who sent me a story from over there. But uh, I think it's just good 
it's just really good perspective on stuff and just also super fascinating. So I'll get into it. So this first story is when he was in Chechnya. Uh, so before I became a U.S. citizen, U.S. citizen and joined the U.S. Army, I was in the VDV, which is the Russian paratroopers from 2008 to 2013. And for those of you who don't know, like they have mandatory conscription. So that's why he was also in the service. He didn't really have a choice. Um, during my time, I did two combat rotations, one being in Chechnya, the other one being in Dagestan. During my first rotation in Chechnya, it was early spring 2009. The rain was nonstop. The fog was thick like forage, and it shifted between cold and hellishly hot. I was doing a patrol in the dead of night with my sentry team, a group of four men, me, Vasya, Kirill, and Alosha. It had been raining the whole day, and it didn't seem like it was going to stop for the night either. The woods were thick and impenetrable, and the mood was non-existent. My team was walking through the woods when all of a sudden we could see what looked like torches in front of us, little orbs of light just floating in the distance. We turned and looked at each other, obviously worried we were about to meet insurgents in this pitch blackness. That's when the whisper started happening. It really didn't make sense to me. It sounded like the trees were talking because it was coming from everywhere. I couldn't make out anything they said, but it was different for Vasya. However, he called out, Papa, what do you mean you want me close to you? He started taking off into the forest. And when I mean taking off, dead sprinting toward those lights. He dropped his rifle and stripped off all his gear and proceeded to run through the brambles and bushes like they didn't matter. The three of us were barely keeping up with him as he continues to yell for his father, asking if he is cold and hungry. We finally caught up to him. He just stops in this small clearing in the forest at the edge of a peat bog. He falls to his knees, looks at us and says, I'd like to go home now. We drag him back to our camp and explain to our NCO in charge that we were thir- why we were 30 minutes late. He just sends us to our beds and we lay in our bedrolls looking at each other in shock, trying not to cry. The villagers in many different places in Russia talk about fairy lights or cappers, which are lights that lead people to their deaths. It's kind of creepy. It's like some stalker level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so it seems like something took over this guy's mind. Yeah. So it's basically like, I, it, basically I would describe it to me. There's like Russian folklore talks about these spirits that basically try to convince you to go walk into the bog and lead you to your death and, or swamps and stuff like that. And so when he stopped at the peak bog, it seemed like when they caught up to him, whatever was possessing him stopped. I don't know. It was really weird. He said it was definitely, definitely an experience that left him shaken. Um, and he just, he's like, if I hear voices in the woods now, I just, uh, when I started hearing stuff in the woods again, he would turn around and leave. Wow. Wow. And that happened yeah. in Russia. That happened in Russia. So I was in, the, in Chechnya. Chechnya. Gotcha. Wow. So the next story he has is from Mongolia. And I find this one super interesting too. Now you can come, maybe you can kind of see where this one's going. Okay. <laughs> Another training exercise I was on was with the Mongolian and the Kazakhstani army. It was me walking around the desert for a month, wondering when I was going to die of heat stroke. There was a point when our groups were walking around these pumice sandstone hills. If you don't know, pumice is a very porous stone with natural holes showing through. And after enough time and rain, these holes get big enough to fit a small man or dog through. Last, on, on a night watch, I was on a giant cord machine gun. We had these IR thermals attached to them, and I was scanning, more or less really sleeping the terrain, when I see what appears to be the thermal image of one of those inflatable tube men without arms. You know, the kinds that you see at car dealerships in the U.S. that wave around. It's about 100 meters out on the slope of a hill. I blink and close my eyes. When I open and look through again, I see the, this thing moving side to side, just like one of those giant inflatable tube men, but with no arms. I decide to turn on the floodlight attached to our cord, and for a split second, I see this massive fucking caterpillar about the size of a horse. It's poking out of one of those large holes in the pumice, and it slinks back down when I shine a light on it. I remember in vivid detail this thing. 
It was the same amber color as a cockroach. I counted eight limbs from what I saw, but I can only guess that maybe what I was only seeing was a quarter of the length of this thing. It's face, if you want to call it that, looked like one of those wood grubs. I shot in legitimate surprise. I turned around and there's a Kazakh soldier watching me. He probably exclaimed that I had seen a quote unquote Mongolian death worm. And to be honest, I have no explanation for what it could have been otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> what, what the heck? <laughs> what the yeah, heck? Like, yeah, this dude was like, yeah, I have, like, I know what I saw. There's definitely, I was not hallucinating. Wow. That's weird. That is so weird. I, so the best he could describe was a giant caterpillar. Yeah, that's the, he said that's what it looked like. And when he said he talked to the other the Kazakh soldiers and the Mongolian soldiers that had there, it was an undisclosed location in the Mongolian desert or somewhere out there. And they basically were like, "Oh yeah, we see these things all the time." That's and it kind of makes me laugh because it's just like wildlife at any other military base, right? Um, like here in so like for example the pigs in hawaii right they will run away if they see you tony walking up to them because they're scared of people but if they say you see the uniform if they specifically see the army ocp uniform they are so used to soldiers they do not care they're like oh whatever really yeah it's it's they will they will walk right up to you thinking you're going to toss some food because people feed them like they they have no fear of you you have to like kind of make some noise to get them to go away um which I always find it funny. I'm like, what, you know, what are these th- things out there living in the training areas? They're like, Oh, look, it's a soldier. I don't even really care. Wow. You know, but yeah, that, those are two unique stories. I think coming out of like the Russian armed forces, um, very unique individual, of, an individual who surprisingly there's people like him that serve in foreign militaries and then come to the United States, pass their background checks and then join up in the armed forces. That's incredible. Wow. I don't yeah. even know what to say to that. I mean, that that's so bizarre. Right? Such a good story. Both of them. Great story. Great story. <laughs> it, it, it really shows, like, with some of these stories you're sharing, it just shows that the bizarre stuff is not constrained to any one country. I mean, it's oh. just, it's all over the place. Yeah. And I did, I'll have one more foreign one here, and then we'll get back to, like, United, you know, United States. But uh, always, I'm always looking for foreign ones. Ironically, when I first started the page, I had a lot of, not ironically, but, you know, really cool. I had a lot of New Zealand soldiers following me That's and they would tell me about Galatos Barracks or Wairo training area, which is like infamous because it's like the like starting base for most soldiers in New Zealand, but it's also su- supposedly supremely haunted, has like all sorts of stories surrounding it. Um, I always love listening to foreign stories. Just one be- I always find that even though militaries are different, some things always stay the same. Um, yes. And then to just did like their perspective on things, you know? Absolutely. There's quite a bit, but uh, we'll get into another foreign one real quick. So this from the British army, this one's a little more simple, maybe. Okay. So this individual was in the British 40th Royal command Marine commandos. So I don't know if that I'm not too familiar with British army, but that's the unit he was in. So this was when he was in Afghanistan during the war. So we were on Herrick seven in Afghanistan as a young Marines in the 40th commando Royal Marines. We were in Singen and tasked with taking ground with tasked with taking ground at the forward edges of the fight lines. Marines would fight through these areas, taking ground and the army would follow up behind them and build fobs and patrol bases to hold this hard won territory. This at the height of violence with the Taliban and IED activity. Lads were getting shot and blown up regularly. They were losing legs, arms, feet, and being killed. There are instances of the Taliban hanging body parts from the trees to scare troops in these certain areas. But through all this chaos, madness, 
and violence. We had loyal interpreters that risk their, risk their lives and families to be with us. They were out there in the area, but it found what they were doing. But if they were found what they were doing with us, their families would be beheaded. To say that these guys were brave was an understatement. However, on a routine patrol, we came up onto a new village. As we approached the town, these same hardcore brave interpreters that have gone through hell and high water with us refused to go into the town with no explanation. After much arguing and threatening not to pay them for completing their job, they finally said that they would not enter the village because it was inhabited by evil gnomes that cursed and killed people. There are these short, dark-skinned little people that move quickly and look like angry little mad people. Although we, we didn't see anything, these interpreters would not enter the village, let alone look at it, and quit their job and would quit their jobs if they had to go into that town. It was so strange. They had never backed down from a fight in the Taliban and really went through the shit, routinely went through the shit with us. After all they had seen and been through, it makes me wonder how evil those gnomes could have been. It really, it really makes you wonder. I mean, I've heard stories <laughs> of gnomes and things like that. And it, when you put it in that light where, you know, these are guys who are going counterculture, they are putting their lives on the line, their family's lives on the line, going against the Taliban, things like that. And they're scared of gnomes, you know? Because I asked them, I asked that guy, like, was it because they knew the Taliban were there maybe or like Al-Qaeda or something? And they, they were like, no. Like, he was like, these guys would like run through fire with us. Like, no, no hesitation. But when it came to this particular village, they refused to go anywhere near it. Weirdness. I mean, that that it really when when you put the context around that story, it really puts some validity to it because these guys really, and not just one guy, many people really believe there was just pure evil there, more evil than the evil they were fighting. Yeah, like Afghanistan was. Afghanistan's a weird place, man. Like I, you know, I've never been there, but just hearing stories and talking to people that have lived and fought there, like. It's, I think it's, it's definitely a place that is uh, hard to understand. Yeah, I might need to visit someday. Nah, just kidding. Yeah, it might need to take... I would, I would wait a little bit, Tony. Yeah, I, I, th- I think it might be a, maybe a slight miscalculation on my part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about our last sponsor for today's show, which is... HelloFresh and HelloFresh is a great thing for you right now this time of year. You're after the holidays and guess what you're trying to do? Like everybody else, you're trying to save money because you just spent a boatload of money on the holidays and you're trying to lose weight because you just spent the entire holidays eating candy and junk food and tons of good food on the table for all these family gatherings and right now HelloFresh has a great deal for you because not only are you going to be able to have menu items that are healthy to help you lose weight, lose the pounds that you just put on from the holidays, but HelloFresh is 72% cheaper than any restaurant meal, the same quality, and you can save on average about $65 a month when you use HelloFresh. We use HelloFresh. We absolutely love it. Not only is it saving money, not only is it great food, it helps you trim the fat, but it also saves you time when you're trying to make sure that you can get everything else done. It takes out the hassle. You just go to HelloFresh, you take out the meal, you make what they tell you to make, and you're good to go. Right now, friends, HelloFresh is offering one of the best deals I've ever seen them offer. You can go to HelloFresh.com slash confessional16 and use code confessional16 for up to 16 free meals and 
three free gifts. They're still giving stuff away. They're, that's why I like them, because they give stuff away. I like giving stuff away. They give stuff away. They're giving you 16 free meals. It used to be 12, then they put it to 14. Now they're doing 16 free meals, and it's after the holidays, and they're still giving you three free gifts. So go ahead, check it out, HelloFresh.com slash confessional 16 and use code confessional 16 to get your 16 free meals and three free gifts. Okay, so this next story is from a marine at Camp Lejeune, and I think it's pretty cool because it involves ghost tanks. All right, ghost tanks on Camp Lejeune. So I want to start off by saying that it was my second or third month in the Jacksonville, North Carolina area, and I just got stationed at Marine Corps Air Station New River. Still, I wanted to explore Camp Lejeune because I knew I'd have to go there from time to time to perform my duties. And so one night around midnight, probably a Friday or Saturday, I was getting in my, I got in my car and headed over to Lejeune to kind of drive around and explore my way around the base. It's probably, probably ended up around 3 a.m. when I decided to head back to my barracks. So I plug in my GPS. Long story short, I end up on one of those roads towards the, the base's old de- decommissioned gates. If you spend any time in the Onslow area, you know that the wee hours in the morning, you can get pretty foggy and creates an overall uneasy feeling. I realized my mistake that I was heading towards a dead end and I turned around and started heading back the way I came. At this point, my car starts to jump and shake. I guess it's one of the, I guess it was one of those artillery battalions running a night off shooting into the air close by. Well, anyway, I keep going down the road and it's lined by streetlights, maybe a hundred feet or more apart. And they're illuminating the street through the fog just enough. All of a sudden it feels like I was on a draw. I, it feels like I'm on a drawbridge, like, you know, everything's shaking. And I shit you not, Three tanks about 300 feet away from me, vintage looking, maybe Vietnam era, come rolling from the tree line on the right, across the road and into the tree line on the other side of the road. They had men manning the turrets and everything. I could only make out the men from the shoulders up, but they were not wearing our modern Kevlars, and instead they looked like they had the old GI helmets with no covers on, the way that the streetlights reflected off the tops. They're like they were the bare metal, like that old bare metal. After they passed, I immediately thought that I might have accidentally ventured into a restricted part of the base, like on a range or something. Still, when I got to where they crossed, there were no signs of them. No muddy track marks. No, The tree lines were super dense. Nothing was knocked over. You couldn't even fit a squad through there without making at least hacking a couple of the trees down. I don't know what I saw, but those tanks and soldiers looked like they were straight out of Vietnam. That, I guess, falls in line with the idea of the residual energy. I mean... Yeah, I, I mean, you have to... Like, and I, I found that story interesting because when he describes like the rattling noise, like, I don't know if you've ever been near tanks. No. Right. So, like, tanks are super noisy. Like, anything with tracks makes like a ton of noise, makes like this noise, like a clunking noise. And just tanks themselves are just super loud. And they, and when they move because they're so heavy, they'll shake the ground if there's enough of them. So, like, it sounds like you saw like these legit tanks that just came rolling through. Um, I know I thought found that was super interesting. I've never heard of ghost tanks before, but he swears up and down what he saw was those those were tanks. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was like a residual memory or something of the land or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, but that that's the best way I could describe it. I mean, tanks were yeah. never alive, so we know it's not a soul of a tank. You know, it's yeah. I I showed him a random picture from Vietnam of like dudes riding on top of a tank, like kind of like what he was describing with like the gear. And I was like, is this what you saw? And I sent him like a couple other ones of like other different tanks from different periods. And he was like, nope, this is exactly what I saw. This exact same tank, this exact same style rolling down the road. And it's like, you know, we, those things haven't been in army. I think it was before even the M60, which was like a, around in like the Gulf War still. Like 
has not been in the army system for years, let alone the Marine Corps one. So I always wondered what it could have been. Yeah. And so, I mean, if that's the case, then even the idea of, you know, if just being an antique movie, it probably wouldn't even be move. If, if it was real, it probably wouldn't be something that would be movable. It would have to be stationary, not like it could just drive around. Exactly. So, I don't know. Really weird story. It's interesting. All right. So this next one, we're going back to Iraq. And this one's super interesting. Not necessarily like creepy or spooky or anything, but I think puts a lot of like perspective onto some of the stuff that like some of these stories. Uh, so the background to this, this individual worked in intelligence and in military intelligence, right? And they do a lot of analysis of like on cultures and stuff like that. It's probably one of their big jobs. So the story goes, back in 2009, the XO at a FOB asked me to report on the cultures and history of our surrounding area. And that FOB encompassed and protected an ancient ziggurat. Not sure why. Much of the secretarian stuff, much of the secretarian stuff is disturbing fringe things. So secretarian meaning like, like the fringe groups, the vi- like some of that violence of like, they're not affiliated with Saddam. They're not affiliated with Al-Qaeda. They're like kind of out there on their own. Um. So they were trying to figure things out, like who was who out there. My my higher-ups were also interested in the local small Jewish population as well in Iraq. The weird stuff that we found usually centered around a single dude, a mystic that was focused on the darker stuff. Mystic Islam isn't about the Quran as much as about a spiritual correct connection. Honestly, it looks closer to Hinduism than Islam in any way from what I found. Meditation, narcotics, chances, rituals to summon or become one with whatever. The crazy ones were focused on energy, focused their energy on summoning jinn, iblis, etc., other weird creatures. The funny enough, I tried to find more info. I couldn't keep the report I did, but Google sucks for research now. But all that will pop up is Yazidis, I can't pronounce that, which have their baddies too. They focus on Marduk, a couple other things. You want to dig into it. The sources, physical evidence that shows Erastianism does not predate uh, Judaism and it predates the it just predates the Jewish exile to Babylon. Also, since Islam is a relatively new religion, these are important details. The super important details because the diffusion of ancient cultures ties into the boogeyman origin stories of today. Uh, one of these days I'll have to get back into it, but the stories that pops out when you have all this info are engrossing. So going back, for instance, when I was in Iraq at this fob, an Islamic fighter created a brigade of extremists, as in too messed up for their other extremists to associate with i.e. they would kill their enemies, eat their hearts and livers. This way, they destroyed their opposition and gained the power and knowledge of the person they murdered slash killed. They validate this from a story where Hind, I guess from the Quran, ate the liver of Hamza, the companion of the prophet of Muhammad. Those guys still consider themselves to be Muslims. You also have counterculture guys who see Islam as a corruption of an older, better, more powerful i.e. better or more powerful religion. This goes back into where you're saying like Zoroastrianism and pre-Judaism cultures mixing with Islam. Uh, cryptids, jinn, ghouls, etc. are whisperings of an ancient religion of the past. Usually, these ancient holdover pieces start blending with local and foreign beliefs. Inevitably, some nut with a dark past latches onto this stuff and tries to revive it. He is given or finds some secret knowledge that ties together with whatever ancient mystery he wants to use to validate whatever reason he's selling. The modus operandi of these guys is always the same The same thing, man. They seek validation, pleasure, influence, and power. When they focus on the darker spirits, things that get sick, things that get weird, I call these guys the anti-Muslims. 
they get off on doing all sorts of things Islam says is evil. They do rituals to some of these jinn beings, and these guys are pretty much like the otherworldly, worldwide variations of the Shrigori, Fairy, and other, not so much like the genie Islamic view. These anti-Muslim guys want to channel these spirits to help them fight their enemies. They like the ones that target travelers and strangers, <laughs> i.e. us. But these jinn are usually extra spooky and extra creepy. So these, these guys focus all their energy on connecting with that shit. Now, throw in a combat zone, various people stacking bodies on the regular for generations in a consolidated area. And it's a no wonder I, I think our guys see freaky stuff out there. So basically, I know it's a lot to digest. Basically, this guy looking into weird fringe stuff uh, at this fob that was around an ancient religious site uh, found out that there's like these groups of people that take Islam to an extreme. And then there's groups of people that like go the exact opposite way to the extreme, but they're blending ancient culture and religion together. And so his, his belief basically from this whole thing was that um, people that see the weird stuff in combat zones, people see like, you know, ghosts and apparitions. And like, I saw this demon looking thing peek around a corner on this village. He thinks that it's, you know, these people were summoning these creatures to come mess with us. You know, and whether or not I was, they're getting the effect they wanted or not, or whether or not it was real. He just thinks that maybe that's why people saw like the weird things they did in Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. That, so that's like a whole other new element to what is perceived to be going on over there. You know? Yeah. And I talked to some guys of Islamic faith and they said that this is exactly spot on. It's like in Afghanistan and Iraq, this is exactly like correct. Um, there's like these guys that take like this black magic kind of anti-Muslim thing. And then there's these guys that take like, you know, the Quran to a whole other level, you know, just like they're like, this is exactly true. And both of them do like some type of occultish black magic kind of things to summon powers that they think will do their bidding. Really weird stuff. So how, as somebody who's in the military, if that story's true, how do you think we combat that kind of stuff in the field? <clears throat> Who knows, Tony? <laughs> I clears his throat. <laughs> hey, you know what? I have some guesses. <laughs> hey. I mean, I don't know, Tony. I mean, I, I think a lot of uh, soldiers themselves are very spiritual and religious too. Um, <laughs> like, I knew people that had some very, very superstitious things and all sorts of religions and cultures in the u.s military i'm sure we combine our uh faith to pre prevent some of these things from happening um but yeah no i that would be an interesting thing i it reminds me of like a book i read a while back about it oh no it's yeah okay i'm thinking of hellboy never mind <laughs> <laughs> close <laughs> yeah but no i always find it interesting because there's definitely as much as people want to pretend like religion is not a thing and is fake and made up, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy of a certain faith that I believe all the stuff is real. Yeah. Well, me too. Me too. It just makes you wonder, uh, if, if you're getting stories through your Instagram page like that, surely we know all about it, you know? And it's like, how do you how do you uh, how do you approach that then? Because I I mean I'm firmly convinced that you know our our military government things like that they're not ignorant to the idea of black magic being real, and so I'm I'm sure I mean like I'm sure Tony like there's 
I, I, I will, I, I can think that if there was any, anything that could be used against us or used for us, we're going to look into it. Sure. Yeah. Like yeah. as anyone, as anyone would like, that's, that's the, that's the one, if there's some world altering power, you can best believe we're probably, we're probably going to figure out how to harness it before someone else can like, you know what I mean? Or at least try to figure out, is it any threat to us? I don't know. Sounds very Hollywoodish, but I feel like that's just human nature to begin with. No, I agree. I agree. We'll we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. (laughs) I won't, uh, I won't pry too much because I, you know, I'm trying to be a good soldier for you. Oh God, Tony. Okay. I'm, not, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, man. Like, I don't want to egg you into conversation that could get you into trouble. <laughs> well, unfortunately, Tony, I would say I, everything I'm talking to, everything I would talk to you about is just stuff from my own research and belief. I don't unfortunately have any, I don't know where the skeletons are buried out there. No, but I, I don't want, I don't want you to come across as agreeing with some of the accusations I could pitch. <laughs> Yeah, I really hope people paid attention to my disclaimer in the front. Yes, they- <laughs> that goes for me too. Like <laughs> my opinions, my opinions are not Nick's opinions. <laughs> oh man, right. what, where are we at here? Okay, so here's this next one from Fort Huachuca, right? So if people I don't know Fort Huachuca is out in New Mexico. Uh, it's where the army trains a lot of their intel people, a lot of signal guys. Uh, it's mainly like a training base. Um, all right, so this guy. There were counts of time he saw a UFO out there two times. Okay, so there were two times that it had happened in the day and two times at night. If anyone has ever been to Fort Huachuca, they know that the long PT road that ma- that takes them to the airport gate and the mountain base. This road is pretty long, and many battalions do their fair share of running, rucking, and PT tests on it. One morning, we had been doing a team run, and we were running down the road towards the airport. My team leader and I usually had a similar pace, and so we'd always run together. We had seen this black disc come down from the clouds way out from the far mountain range towards Tucson. This thing has to be making time because of how quickly it got from one side of the range to the other in a matter of seconds. As soon as it started moving over the mountains, we heard the F-22s from the airport picking up, start up and take off. It was pretty quick that these guys, it was pretty apparent that these guys were taking off and chasing this thing. The other range is about 90 to 120 miles away. And that's from where we are in the Sierra Vista. Anyways, by the time these pilots had responded to it, it was already moving back up into the atmosphere. This all had to happen within like two to three minutes. And the second time is when we were in formation closeout, waiting for our sergeant major to start talking. I had been looking up, memorizing the clowns, just like as any sports special, any board specialist would do. And I had noticed this black silver, this, I'm sorry, this silver disc was moving at such weird angles to match the form of the clouds. I pointed this out to another guy next to me. We were both watching it as the cloud, as the other clouds had moved in below blocking our view. And we never saw it after that. The first time we had seen the lights in the, at night was when we would sit in the back of my truck, drink, and talk about watching the lightning storms over Tucson in the distance. The stars were bright, but we were we had been out there all night, almost drinking every night, and then we knew something was different. This night, we were talking as usual, not drinking, and we had seen these green and orange lights flashing in the distance, moving fast and coming to a stop. We looked up at what airplane we looked up what airplanes they could be on their wings, but it wasn't matching up to anything we could find. That was the first weird thing that these lights would hover, that these lights would hover in an area outside of the storm for about another 15 minutes before shooting up and out of sight within the blink of an eye. We also always saw was a stream of light that something makes when it moves really fast, stupid fast. We both had agreed that it was weird and continued our conversation. The last experience I had would be when I was out in the field shooting comms. 
We ran a 24-hour comm switching parameters on our NetOps to make sure everything was fully functional. We had seen another light come down, this time in a circular motion over the border with the U.S. airspace. It wasn't too far away from us, but we were watching with big eyes. It was just hovering near the blimps for a few minutes. Bl- uh, Intel uses like kind of blimps to gather in- intelligence signals, stuff like that. So that's what he was working on. Okay. Um, it was flashing colors like the last one. This time it was just a blue light, but super brighter than anything I've ever seen. At the same time it had come down, we had lost signal and radio comms. So we couldn't even call to the other teams who had been closer to it on the other side of the valley. This time, instead of beam- beaming back up to, to the sky, it just disappeared in the blink of an eye. So a couple of weird UFO sightings from Fort Huachuca. And where is that again, Fort Huachuca? Uh, New Mexico. Oh, sorry. Here's the rest of it. I'm sorry. I've been flipping my pages. So he goes on to say, we knew it had left because the, the signal had come back. Because the signal, the, his signal of the net ops had gone out when the thing appeared. We received a call from the officer on duty at the time, and we didn't know if we had a believable story. So we blinked on a power issue. The four of us saw it and tried to get a video proof, but nothing could be made out except for the audio. We all pass it off as just another weird thing about Arizona without ever speaking of it again. The Air Force has done a lot of exciting stuff out there about the one, the only, but you know about the one airline that goes into Area 51? We had this thing land there one time on our tiny runway. We're never anything seen anything more significant than A-10s and F-22s land there before. So when I saw this giant commercial flight, I thought it was bizarre. That's the end of it. That's, that That's is right. interesting. Why would a giant commercial flight land there? Yeah, I think it's called Comet or something like that. It's like a government contracted flight and it's it's known, it's like one of those people, cargo movers, and it's known, I guess, for taking people to Area 51 or just moving people to some of these sites outside in the, the desert. From what I've been able to gather on the online, um, not too familiar with that with that too much. But yeah, it's weird, weird stuff in the desert. Do you think that uh, that's more than likely our own stuff that we're working on that it's just top secret so you're not going to know what you're looking at who knows i mean i definitely could say that if we ever wanted to test our own stuff out the best people to do it against would be us i guess because you know if if we're imagining we're the toughest guys on the planet then of course we, we want to fight the toughest guys on the planet i, I just don't know i know we've i mean the, the u.s in history if you look up like uh I forgot what they're called, but uh, the when the first Navy SEALs came around, they created a team uh, that they would go around. They would basically like attack and infiltrate military bases to test themselves, right? Because if we're the best, then the best should be fighting the best, quote unquote. You know, so I I could imagine maybe some of the stuff is just tech that we have out there, especially in all the test ranges and airfields and just massive amount of empty space in the desert in Arizona and Mojave and stuff like that. Maybe yeah. I don't know. So what what are your thoughts on the uh, idea that we have we have craft that what didn't originate from Earth? I mean, I, from what I understand, our our government did say that recently. What do you think? Yeah, about that was that? weird. I I have, I have no idea what to put on that because I was like, huh, this is not a, not exactly what I was expecting. Um, I don't know, but it goes back to what I said earlier. If we have something, who what does everyone else have? Because like like you said, you know. This this stuff and these stories and activity are not just synonymous with the United States. You know, I, I always makes me wonder. I, I do believe. I think it would be we are not just like some fluke of nature that we're the only planet to develop life. I'm sure that there's stuff out there, you know, and maybe they're just maybe they're just like what we would do when we discover like if we would ever go like say to Pluto and discover those life on Pluto. What we do, we would probably like whoa, take a step back, like 
let's check this out because we were not expecting this. We thought we were alone. I, I would imagine they're maybe similar to us in that regards. Like, you know what I mean? If they were truly an advanced civilization that could steamroll us, why haven't they done it yet? You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a, a valid argument. Um, yeah. It's interesting. There's so many things that I think about when it comes to that stuff. Like the, the Eisenhower deal. I mean, is that real? Did it actually happen? Knowing what we know now, as far as UFOs go and things that the government's saying now, is it possible that this uh, this whole conspiracy theory of Eisenhower making a deal with extraterrestrials? I mean, nowadays, with what our government says now, it, and you, if you said uh, Biden made a deal with extraterrestrials, you're like, well, we are talking to them. You know, we do have access to, you know, their craft and things like that. So it makes you wonder if the Eisenhower deal is something that actually did happen. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we're not. Maybe, maybe they're not like this advanced civilization. Maybe they're refugees that have finally come across the habitable planet. I don't know. Like, I love science fiction. I love reading about that stuff. I mean, you know, maybe science fiction becomes science reality one day. Who knows? Yeah, I, well, I think that's starting to happen, my friend. I think that's starting to happen. <laughs> well, we'll see. What, yeah, I uh, so uh, other disclaimer is I get a lot of people that do message my page with some very outlandish things that aren't in the military, and uh, give me they give me a lot of dates like this. The world should have ended as of yesterday or something like that. And I'm like, well, still here, guys. So I think a lot of this stuff too. There's a lot of people that put out their you know uninhibited opinions as fact and kind of disrupt the whole thing you know makes it really hard to weave through that mass of like what's real and what's not yeah yeah i totally get it um when what let's get to some some of the skinwalker stuff all right let me skip ahead here all right so this is that fort benning right so these last two are kind of like skinwalker stories and we get i guess into the overtime i picked some other ones out that people claim to be skinwalkers and i have some ones that i haven't posted yet uh so this first one is from fort benning so we don't know about fort benning fort benning is in georgia it's a huge army training base they have basic training uh airborne ranger school big base right a lot of training area a lot of land people go run around in. so this story is from a guy at ocs also i found that in a lot of these stories like People start sharing the same same kind of encounters and stories from the same place. Makes you really wonder, like, huh, maybe it's not just a drill sergeant messing with people. Maybe, you know, that's an maybe it's something else there. So this guy tells a pretty interesting story. Okay. So I was in OCS doing the dreaded sticks lanes. It was early on in the week, so we we're pretty well rested before we settled into our patrol base for the long night of 50% security. Around 0200, we started hearing coyotes, which sounded like a whole band of them making that unnerving yippy noise, which isn't common in Fort Benning. The wildlife regularly stumbles across our patrol bases. Uh, but this time, it started giving me chills up my spine, and it sounded like they were circling us. A couple, uh, It goes quiet, and a couple peaceful and silent minutes pass. The student platoon leader started checking security, making sure everybody who was supposed to be awake was awake. When he came back, a man was leaning against a tree. Thinking it was an officer candidate, he started asking Hey, officer candidate, what are you doing standing? Because everybody's supposed to be like prone position, hidden, right? And patrol base. The LT gets no response. And then it dawned on him. He just checked the whole gun line and everybody was present and accounted for in their positions. Who are you and what are you doing here? He exclaimed. And he asked this question again and got no response. If you know anything about patrol base, you know that it's one way in and one way out and a password and a guard guard. 
there's no way some rando could just walk in without knowing the password. And there's no way 50% security would have missed him walking through. So that means like there's a hundred people, everybody's paired up into twos. Right. And then, so th- those, those hundred people now spread out in a circle and out of those hundred people, 50 of them are awake. So there's 50, there's 50 eyes looking in the forest. So it's pretty hard to infiltrate it. Like just walk straight through it. Um, so going back to the story, so all of a sudden the man started walking straight out of the, out of the uh, observation post. All I remember is that he had these very heavy footsteps, heavy footsteps. After that, something in the fort, I, yeah, sorry, let me back up. I kind of tongue twister there. That's cool. After he walked out of the patrol base, all I remember hearing that he had these very heavy footfalls. After that, I started hearing something in the forest, like something that would move between the bushes. And I would start to see like a shadow of something staring at us. The following day, we got back to the talk, which is basically like kind of like a command post. I noticed that Kaje was present all night and they, they had a cot set up. Like they had like just woken up. Like they just, they had been asleep all night. I was pretty close to the guy that was there for the night and I asked him, hey man, were you messing with us last night? He responded, hell no. It was way too cold. I was sleeping in the ammo shed. Then we asked around to what other platoons, uh, asked if any other platoons had been messing with us. No one could even point out what we were that night because we were that well hidden. I don't know if it was it, what it was or how it got there. That's it. That's the story. I'm not embellishing anything or making shit up. It's just what happened. Like most real life events, I never got any answers or any big reveals. So it's just going to remain unanswered for the rest of my life. But just to go back into some detail, I was manning the 249 Apex. So I heard him stomping around. The PL described him as tall, about 6'3", which is weird because none of our cadre were under about, because none of our cadre are over six feet tall. And the only other guys above 6'3 were the gate guard and me. The PL said that he stunk. But I don't really chunk that up to anything because, after all, if you're in the field, you stink. And he was wearing a gaiter, I guess like a, a neck gaiter, which is, I guess, I don't know why that's significant, but I guess that's what he was wearing. And he was wearing a patrol cap, which was also weird because all of us on the patrol base were wearing helmets. And his flag was on the wrong shoulder and there was no unit patch. He wore the infantry. We wore the infantry school patch. So on an army uniform, you would wear your flag patch on your right shoulder, and then if you had a deployment, the uh, the point you, the unit you deployed would go beneath that. But then on your left shoulder, you would have like your unit patch to distinguish yourself. So this guy had his his patch on his left shoulder, and he was wearing the wrong unit patch there as well. So it just was looking messed up. Um, and when I started seeing stuff in the bush bushes, I was only catching like glimpses of it. And when we watched him move out, it was like he was walking uncomfortably, like he was moving on two feet. Like it was uncomfortable for him. So I don't know what could have been. I grew up in Flagstaff, Arizona, in Skinwalker territory. The Navajo are adamant that the Skinwalkers only exist inside their tribe. But shapeshifter stories are are per- per- pervasive down in Georgia too. I'm not sure who or what it was, but it seemed like it was impersonating a soldier and getting a lot of things wrong. I think they got the goat man or some other type of thing. I think, and also important to note here, I, I've accidentally skimmed over it. The guy was an ACUs. So if you don't know what ACUs are, it's like that funky looking green digital camo the army used to have. Yeah. So when this guy was in, in uh, OCS, we had switched over to OCPs. So it's that more of that multi-cam looking color. So also like kind of, uh, wait a minute. Um, and I'll get into that in a second. All I know is skinwalkers are people, medicine men who practice like dark things to intimidate people they don't like. Whether you believe they shift at all, they do exist from my experience living in Arizona. The skinwalker is more of a practice than a cryptic. The lore goes deeper and it's more supernatural, but the most rational Navajo stop at that point. 
Skinwalkers are simply humans trying to be animals, but this was different. It felt like it was something trying to be human and failing pretty bad. Maybe it's my background or something. I don't know, but it just seemed off like that uncanny valley crap. I don't think there's a cryptid on the books to describe it, but I do think there's a reason why the uncanny valley evolved in humans. A lot of people hear these stories of creatures chasing them and seem to go seem off, right? They go, oh, it's a skinwalker, but I don't think that's accurate. What I saw and what I'm describing is more like a predator that evolved from us. It uses like its intellect to lure us and kill us. Maybe it's learning to speak with us. It learns to understand our mentalities, but I don't think they're shapeshifters. I think they're like mimics that they try to get, they try to pretend like this, but they sometimes like fail. It's hard to get evidence for them because they're exactly like us. But if you look at serial killers, the pathology and brain chemistry are just way different. Maybe it's just part of that mutation that makes them these things. So what's funny about that story is like, I get a lot of stories about people seeing soldiers that are outside of their little area that wear the wrong uniform, have the wrong stuff on, have out of characteristics uniform, like they're wearing no win- the winter gear in like summer heat. And, or they, they like are standing weird, walking weird. And I just found that kind of interesting. I don't know if you want to, like he said, he doesn't think it's a skinwalker. He's under the, the idea that there's something else that we're mistaking for a skinwalker. And it's like this thing that's trying to like trick us and mimic us. Uh, Cause I get a lot of stories from Fort Benning about tall, weird things that look like humans, but when you get a closer look are not humans. That's interesting. I wonder what that is. I wonder what that is. Fort uh, Benning is weird, man. Um, the way you- I don't know. The way he described it where like it was walking, but it felt uncomfortable walking, trying to walk like a human and stuff. The 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 imagery in my head pops up of the men, movie Men in Black with Will Smith, the first one where the alien's wearing the Edgar suit and he's walking yeah. real weird and stuff because he can't figure it out. And what's the funny thing is, too, is like they're wearing OCPs, right? And like OCPs are like one of the most hated camel patterns ever because it's it, it stands out. It doesn't blend in. And like when the army got rid of it. The only way you're going to find it now is on like old gear that they, they issue out to you. Um, and for the most part, if people want to pretend like they're the bad guys, right. They're going to wear like, um, like the old woodland cameras. It would make it very obvious. Right. So I found that really weird that these, maybe these things went to the clothing and the old uh, was a vintage store and bought a bunch of ACUs being like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is how I'll look like them. And they get out there and realize that everybody else is wearing something different. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, 6'3", though. This is a big guy. Yeah, that, that's it's pretty big. It's pretty big. I uh, I, I don't know. That's really interesting, though. I, I would love to know more details of those of those experiences guys are having there. I mean, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, especially at Fort Benning. That's a pretty common one. I've gotten like at least four or five other ones like that. Like really tall figure that does looks like it's human, but it doesn't quite seem right. Or like its arms are too long or its legs bend too strangely. Um, yeah, Fort Benning's one of those weird places. It's like Fort Polk. Some weird stuff. Wow. So, so we'll get into this next story. Uh, and so this was more recent one I got. <clears throat> so this is about a dude's, a guy's dad. When he was in Afghanistan, he saw something I thought was really weird that I've also connected to some other stories I've gotten. So it starts off with my dad. He is on watch in this deserted village on the top of a mountain facing north. He and his group are situated at a wall overlooking this village. Along the village, there is this other wall. Now, this wall has doors leading up to a small square spaces, which are most likely homes. This is about roughly 30 to 40 feet, so keep that in mind. So my dad is mounted on this wall, and he's looking in the valley they're situated on. He has a 50 cal on a turret of some kind. I can't recall what he said, but I do know it was a 50 cal. He's also got MVGs and other night vision equipment with thermals. 
I don't really know the correct version of this, so bear with me. Uh, but he is sitting there on the wall and he sees this man through his thermals walking down a mountain about 500 meters from his group. This is unusual because it's two to three in the morning. And this man is just casually walking around this abandoned village at two in the morning. He sees him and starts closely watching him. He says as this man turns and very obviously begins to look at him. But as he looks at him, he just keeps walking. But he's walking weirdly. And as he keeps walking, it gets more weird to the point he drops on all fours. And my dad swears he turns into a whole panther, complete with tail. He thought he was sleep deprived since they had spent all night driving to get there. He rubs his eyes and he's trying to wake his buddy. He called his buddy named Cooter, as well as his first sergeant on his first deployment. So he's throwing these discarded caliber rounds at his group to get him to wake up, but they're not waking up. He looked through, looked through his MVGs again or something, and he saw this thing jump onto the wall. When it jumped on the wall, it was about 60 to 100 meters away from him. He starts yelling, and the guys woke up, and he told them what he saw. They're all laughing at him and telling him he just saw things, but he knew what he saw, and he stood by it. The next night, though, was his friend's turn, and he sees the same thing, but it got closer. So my his friend, Cooter, woke up my dad, and that's when he said he saw it. And they were both freaking out, and they both knew that they had seen some type of panther down there. So what's interesting about that story that I like is uh, in the very beginning of the page, I got a bunch of stories about people who had seen Black Panthers in uh, Afghanistan. So Afghanistan does have an endemic snow panthers. They're super, super rare. But like, and they're super, super hard to find. They live up in the mountains, but people were reporting like black man panthers in like Chuck Valley and like some other places. Uh, supposedly, some people I got pictures of it haven't really got a chance to look at those yet, but I always wonder when I saw that story, I was like, huh, <laughs> maybe it wasn't a cat. Maybe it was a cat of some type. That That is interesting. Uh, so, did Cooter see the panther turn from like, you know, did do the transformation or did he just see the Black Panther? Did he say in the he just saw the Black Panther like on the wall, but it was closer. So that that wall that was like twenty to thirty feet from them, he saw it like down on the edge, like, oh shit, it's coming at me right now. Jeez. That's crazy. Good stuff. So collecting these stories, man, uh has all the stories that you've been collecting changed your mindset as to what you once perceived to be either fictional or real. I mean, has, has your perspectives changed at all by getting so many stories? Oh yeah. I could definitely say definitely. I, I've always had an interest in this stuff, like, but I have kind of always kind of approached it with a skeptic view. Um, like disclaimer, I kind of, I take all these stories as, as they're told to me. So like most of the time I could tell when somebody's trying to pull a fast one on me, cause the story doesn't make sense with anything military would do. Like, there was a story about a guy. He's like, oh, I saw like these CIA type of people driving black suburbans in Afghanistan. I'm like, really? Like <laughs> in one of the most dangerous places in Afghanistan and people are driving black suburbans. Like this isn't the movies guy, like nice one. And I'll, I also have read plenty of creepypastas and green text to know like, yeah, I've read this before. This is on uh, this was on no sleep where it was very <laughs> obvious it was fiction. So nice one. Uh, but for the most part, people that come forward with stories, I, I do wholeheartedly believe them. Um, and it's definitely changed my perspective on things because it makes me go back and think like, huh, like, you know, some of these places I was at too. Uh, and we could talk about that later, but like some of these places I was at too. And I remember like, oh, there, there's some weird stuff there for sure. So uh, there's definitely something to it. Um, I haven't had anything too outlandishly crazy. That's like blown my mind to make me like question everything. But uh, I do appreciate members and i want people to know in the like the military communities like 
that have seemed weird things they can't explain that you're not alone and like there are people that believe you and want to hear your story you know so i just hope that i get that message gets to people and they understand that i just hope it's, it's also interesting for everyone else so they can hear these stories um you know just because i like you said, it's kind of hard for military people to open up to non-military. And I, I'm hoping that this will be that way so people can have that shared experience and learn from those shared experiences. That's awesome, man. Uh, let's people know what the Instagram is once again. It's uh, Tales from the Grid Square. So at Tales underscore from underscore the underscore Grid Square. Awesome, man. People need to go to that Instagram and hit follow and read these stories. I mean, you have tons on there right now. And you you said to me, you you have what, like months worth of posts that you haven't even posted yet? Yeah, I think me, if I look at my phone right now, I have enough for... So they come and go. I've been going through them pretty quick. So I think right now, because I, I try to keep it down to two posts a day to keep the people, give the people what they want. I got, let's see, 48... 50 i have 60 64 stories to still post that's so, awesome man. the more people that follow the more people that can submit that's that's what i want i'm not making any money off of this so this is just kind of like a crazy hobby now that i started perfect man all right well listen i appreciate you being here for the first segment if you're a member uh you know what to do head on over to the overtime because there's a whole other conversation waiting there for you thanks nick Awesome. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me on. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks for listening on a weekly basis, friends. And if you're a member, head on over to the overtime section right now because there is a whole other conversation waiting for you. And to just let you know, we are bringing Nick back on for a third segment this coming Thursday for the members episode because he just had a ton of things to share. And I'm really glad that he was willing to share with me. So go ahead and check out the overtime section and and also check out the member show that's coming this Thursday with more of these tales from the grid square. Awakened from the forest in the depths of the abyss, this creature is a paradigm of time lost and time itself. It fears no one. It adheres to no rule that man can create. It forges its own path and yet its path remains hidden from the world. The sphere of his existence is beyond most comprehension as it exudes its power quietly but transcendent. It needs no one's approval to exist, but yet its very existence is sought after by many. It watches. It learns. Adapts to the ever-changing environment around it, even as the environment is wrought with corruption. It battles the corruption only when pressed or for the protection of others like it. It is a mirage that few will ever understand. It's a cornucopia of knowledge from an era long past. It's free. It's Bigfoot. My fantasies always consisted of making it big. My soul was nothing more than a bargaining chip. Marketing is what they tell you to do and what you're willing to give. LARPing to the fullest extent. I don't wait, I shoot first like Han on a rodeo. And these people don't understand me like reading a Nokian. Stretch thin, like pulling an accordion. My heart ain't primordium. All these historians telling us lies. Setting aside everything is medicalized. Politicians selling the ride. I better die where the relevance lies. They're dressing alike. Reptilians. My resilience is brilliant. I'm here to lead. 